This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Yeah, yeah, yeah! Welcome everybody to the season finale episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys on air, Carlson and their keeper pools. I am lightheaded, but I'm going to keep going. My name is Elon Dubrovsky. I am the host of this show. And with me is my co-host, the fantasy hockey robot, the guy who's been breaking down the numbers for us all season long, Brian Calm. You know, I spent so much time breaking down the numbers, but really, isn't it time we built them up? Oh, wow. <laughs> Look at this. The comedy hour beginning early. Brian, this is a special show. It's season finale. Normally, I drink a Red Bull because I want to make sure to keep my energy high. But I've decided season finale. I got something to celebrate, as you know. So I'm going to crack open my beer. Why don't you tell all the, the great listeners about my uh, my accomplishment? Oh, Elon, congratulations on winning tier two of the Cupful uh, for the second consecutive year. You repeated and you are absolutely ascending to tier one next year. And if I had to make an early prediction, Elon, it's that you will finish at least third. <laughs> okay, well, that it's was... a tough league. I, I imagine. Yeah. So Dave won tier one. So congratulations to Dave Benton. He was uh, on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. You guys all know and love him. I uh, shouldn't have been in tier two, but I stayed there. My team name was shouldn't be here. And I earned the title. I won. I, I, I love to brag. I know I, I should be humble, but I won't be. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Okay, you were never I, humble. I, I try not Why to be. Why to be now? Yeah, I'm just very excited. It was a super tough league. I'm happy to have won. And now, Brian, we've got a great show planned for today. I think we're going to take this in segments. First of all, actually, okay, segment one, segment zero is I'm going to mention that we're presented by DauberHockey.com, which is the premier fantasy hockey website out there. We're so proud to have been presented by them all season long. Uh, I just went there right now. Did you know they have a playoff guide ready to purchase? If you have a playoff pool coming up, check out the Dauber Hockey playoff list. It's not called a guide. It's called a list. <laughs> so it's very fancy. Uh, they also have articles breaking down, like coaches have been fired today and hired. I think did Florida end up signing? Uh, what's apparently the Joel Quenville's hiring is going to be announced tomorrow, which is Monday. Might be today yeah. if you're listening to this in the future. Yeah, so you can also might check be yesterday. Yeah, Dauber Hockey will break it all down. For you. So check it out, DauberHockey.com, plus all the tools. When we uh, do our off-season content, we've got a whole off-season of podcast plan for you guys. Where we're going to break down the season, figure out who was uh, overperforming, underperforming, start projecting for next year, and we'll be using the Dauber tools at Frozen Tools to break it all down. DauberHockey.com. Okay, Brian, so today's show. Here's the plan. We've got some players who were really great in the 
you know, uh, playoff finals. I'm going to go by the Cup Full Finals. The so Cup Full is the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League. But don't worry, you don't have to be a patron or someone who played in the Cup Full to know about what we're going to talk about. But it was a finals two week matchup over on Yahoo. So I just sorted by the top people over the last 14 days, and we'll take a look at some names of the people who were MVPs for their teams if their league went all the way to the final two weeks. Then we're going to look at some players who were LVPs, the high percentage owned players who totally blew it, and we'll try to predict if this was just an aberration or if we should be worried about these players going to next year. So we're going to do that. Then we got NHL playoffs coming. We are going to do a playoff preview with a twist. Every podcast goes by every series and talks about who they think is going to win. Brian and I are going to fill out our own playoff box pool. Uh, we'll tell you more about it in a bit. And uh, that's that's the plan. And then so obviously we'll give our thoughts as we pick our players because obviously you're not going to pick a player on a team that you don't think is going to win the round. So that's going to be our way of previewing the playoffs. I also had this whole thing planned where we would go over lessons learned from uh, the fantasy playoffs. But I kind of feel like uh, we should start with the players and we'll see how much time we have at the end. Maybe we could get to that. So Brian, how about we start with the couple finals MVPs? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know that. Uh, so... Sorry, guys. I, I got to tell you, I rushed home. We had internet issues, and we're, we're finally starting now. So I'm a little bit discombobulated, but I'm, I'm drinking Come beer. Come on. No, no apologies, no excuses. Let's just get to this. Let's do it. Okay, so what happened in the finals, the last two weeks of the season? So like I said, I sorted all of the skaters and goalies over the last 14 days to see who really jumped out as the people who we're going to remember going to next season that ended hot. And the hottest players came from you're not if you haven't been paying attention if your league ended two weeks ago you may not realize this but the hottest players are from the detroit red wings number one in couple points and couple by the way the scoring is like five points for a goal three for an assist and then a little bit of a smattering here and there for shots and hits and blocks and all that good stuff uh anthony mantha number one followed very closely by tyler bertuzzi who was in third place overall in the whole nhl over the last 14 days and then dylan larkin in fifth unbelievable so in seven games played that the red wings played mantha had six goals and seven assists 13 points in seven games 27 shots tyler bertuzzi five goals eight assists 22 shots dylan larkin 10 points five goals five assists again in seven games unbelievable and there's other red wings players that did really well we've got philip heronic on defense who put up two goals and five assists for seven points in seven games i know brian when we talked about on the patron cast about detroit we'll get to this in a bit you know you were saying oh, they have no deep well philip heronic right there Look, future superstar defenseman, Philip Heronik, your seven points in his last seven games. Andreas Athanasiu, uh, non-meager six points in those last seven games. Even this guy, Taro Hirose, who I hadn't heard of, he had seven points in 10 games overall on the season after he got called up. So he had a strong finish. So like I said, I brought this up on Tuesday's Patreon cast, a bonus podcast for the patrons. Like just insinuating that maybe the Detroit Red Wings could be a really good team next season or at least a scary team offensively. Like we're looking now, I've just named like what five or six players who did really well to end the season. Like Dylan Larkin's a clear superstar and all these other guys are seeming to rise to the task. At least they did over these last two weeks. I know already I'm hearing you say small sample size, Elon. We've also got this guy, another Philip. It's not only Philip Heronik that's going to be on the team next year, but probably Philip Zadina will be joining the team who was a very high pick that people expect to be a huge offensive contributor. So, Overall, I feel like this Detroit team could be a sleeper team next year, like both in terms of a team maybe winning more games than people expect, and also in terms of fantasy, maybe you're going to want to draft some of these Red Wings players. So Brian, what do you think about this huge finish for all of these Red Wings superstars? Um, It's been very exciting to see all these Red Wings superstars blow up unexpectedly like these are guys anthony mantha tyler bertuzzi especially who i had been adding and dropping a lot of the season like just being like oh yeah this is a good stream oh yeah detroit's got a good schedule this week and mantha actually rolled with for a few weeks 
not so long ago before he went on his most recent cold run, which was uh, followed by a uh, red hot run, red hot wing. Um, it's nice to see Anthony Mantha and Andres Athanasiu. They finally got the bumps in ice time this year that we've been waiting for them to get for at least the last year and a half, talking about how they have potential and upside and and they just need to play. And I guess some credit to Detroit coach Jeff Blashill for making that happen. Uh, and also keep in mind, um, Mantha and Athanasiu don't just have room to grow deployment-wise. They have room to grow talent-wise, age-wise. They're both going to be another year older next season. That's how time works. They'll be 25 years old. And I think it's safe to expect that they can take another step forward, especially with Gustav Nyquist not in the picture. As for them being potentially better offensively, well, I think those are two reasons why. Philip Zadina is a third. Uh, but on the patron cast, you said that Detroit was actually going to be a scary team next year. And yeah, I uh, I kind of scoffed at that assertion. They're going to need more than a line's worth of players to be really scary, right? There's Larkin, Mantha, Athanasiu, Count Bertuzzi in there too. And then after that, um, like try and name Red Wings. You've got Darren Helm, Taro Hirose, who is not going to be a seven points in 10 games kind of guy. Uh, at least I don't think so. Uh, then you've got Martin Furk, Christopher N, two guys with three-letter last names, uh, Kuffner, I forget his first name, Luke Witkowski. I mean, like who, what, who are these guys? Yeah. How is, what? Who, who was uh, like Tyler Bertuzzi a couple years ago? Like they're young players. We knew, he, we knew who he was coming into this year. And yes, this is the kids getting a shot. But I, I'm also saying that none of these guys really have a pedigree or or have a whole lot of upside expected of them. So for Detroit to be scary, um, I think they'll need more than a line and a half or a line and two thirds of, of quality offensive pressure. Um, same issue on defense. Philip Ronick definitely has promise. And if you're hoping that he can step up next year, I, I don't think you'd be so out of line. Uh, the best thing going for Hronik is that the number one obstacle to his power play ascent has their contract finally coming off the books this year. Of course, I'm talking about Nicholas Cronwall. His contract with the Red Wings has finally expired. So, I don't know, maybe they'll re-sign him and he'll still be inexplicably up on the top power play. Mike Green is the actual barrier. He's uh, he's still got another year at just over $5 million. But Hironic is a, a player who's shown some offensive promise. He showed some chops this year. And uh, the one thing that you see from him that you, or at least that I see that I wonder how it's going to get mollified uh, if he is good on the power play is that his his game still has some defensive holes so you wonder how a coach is going to balance the power play privilege with defensive responsibility but the guy's still just going to turn 22 years old next season so uh, it's not something to get too down on heronic for we can expect him to develop and grow and hopefully take on a bigger role absolutely a name to be watching uh, going into next training camp yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that I predict the Red Wings to win the Cup next year. Uh, but, you know, I just feel like a lot of, if these players are as good as they've looked, I was maybe wondering if you were going to say maybe like, you know, Mantha and Bertuzzi and Larkin and, and you know, Athanasiu aren't as good as they look. You're saying that maybe with this extra ice time, they are showing that they are actually this good as they've shown. I think these are all guys that you're going to want to draft next year, maybe especially Mantha, because we all saw how good Nyquist was playing on Larkin's wing. And now that's Mantha's spot. There's one less person to compete with him. So you'd assume now Mantha can be the Rantanen maybe to Larkin's McKinnon. And by the way, uh, Colorado doesn't have that many big name players outside of their tops, top three, 
really, maybe you could say top six. And look at them going to the playoffs. Of course, one thing Colorado has that Detroit doesn't have is they've had insane goaltending by Philip Grubauer lately. Uh, Jimmy Howard's coming back for another year. And uh, we'll see. He actually had a pretty decent year. I don't think that Detroit could blame Jimmy Howard's play on the reason why they weren't that good. Though they were pretty good at the end of the season, except for this like terrible loss to Buffalo, which we don't have to mention. Uh, about Heronic, I want to just throw it out there. You know who he reminds me of, not in terms of how he plays, but just the numbers. Remember last year how Eric Gustafsson was really solid? He had like 16 points in 35 games, got power play one sometimes, then going like over the summer. Like, I wonder if this Gustafsson guy can like take over on that top power play and, you know, play a full season and have a good year. And look at that. He got 60 points. Heronic, kind of the same thing. He came in late. He only played around like 35, 36 games or something like that, around a half point per game, maybe a little less. But we saw him get on the top power play. Maybe next year Heronic is going to be the Gustafsson. So he's definitely a guy that I'll be watching out for. Brian, anything else about the Red Wings or should we go to number two in the best couple point getter overall over the last couple of weeks? I like your Heronic to Gustafsson comparison. And you've got Mike Green potentially playing the role of Duncan Keith. Yeah, it all fits. To, oh, remember my analogy last year of the Islanders and the Sabres? And like it was supposed to turn out that Casey Middlestat was going to be the Barzal. That didn't really work out, actually, in the end. Uh, <laughs> don't bring that up. I really liked my analogy. So maybe don't go too far with my Gustafsson to Heronic analogy, but we'll see. Okay, so second overall. So I've already knocked out first, third, and fifth, right? In Mantha, Bertuzzi, and Dylan Larkin. Uh, next, second overall. Oliver freaking Bjorkstrand, seven goals and two assists in seven games. Seven goals in seven games, 27 shots. And that includes, of course, his big one goal, two assist game, the 6-2 win over Ottawa yesterday. I feel like if Columbus is going to have a shot versus Tampa Bay, they're going to be needing the Bjorkstrands of the world. These middle six guys to be firing on all cylinders. And hey, right now he is. And of course, they'll also need the big guns like Panera and Duchesne and Atkinson to be firing on all cylinders. They'll also need Dubois. They'll also need Bobrovsky to play out of his mind. They're going to need a lot of things to beat Tampa Bay but definitely it's helping that Oliver Bjorkstrand is hot. So has this run at the end of the season made Bjorkstrand someone worth targeting once again as a sleeper next season? Like he only had 30, even with this run, he only ends the season with 36 points. So this run, first of all, really came out of nowhere. And also he still was kind of a bust because Bjorkstrand has been a guy for a couple of years now that we thought maybe was prime for a breakout. Of course, Panarin's probably going to be gone next year. Maybe that could lead to Bjorkstrand getting increased opportunities to get into the top six, maybe get more power play time. So has your opinion of Oliver Bjorkstrand changed? after this amazing run to end the season or maybe also in general like do you care at all about what happens at the end of the season for the last couple of weeks i feel like you're always saying small sample size don't worry about it no i do care especially if we're seeing new habits come out of a player and that's what we talked about last week with oliver bjorkstrand how he'd suddenly morphed into this shot taking phenom or at least he had a four-game stretch where he threw 19 pucks on net after having averaged Uh, fewer than two shots per game uh, up until that point this season. And so uh, when we talked about Bjorkstrand last, we wanted to see uh, what he'd do for the next few games if those uh, increased shot totals were a weird blip or a sign of things to come. And uh, I guess the answer was both because Bjorkstrand kept firing shots on goal for another couple games. He, He grabbed 11 shots over his next two contests, but then he had no shots the game after and only two shots in the final game of the season. So that's a big shoulder shrug from me as to what exactly can we expect from Bjorkstrand next season. I'd love to look to him as a guy who could be asked to get more opportunity next year. But remember, that's what we thought heading into this year. And Elon, would you believe that in a year where we hoped he would develop and take a step forward, Bjorkstrand's time on ice actually went down as his production rates went up 
which makes it seem like he should be a good candidate to get more ice time, but I'm not convinced he will um, because he was not a priority for John Tortorella to play. He was ranked eighth amongst regular Columbus forwards in average time on ice at five on five per game. He barely played more than Brandon Dubinsky for Pete's sakes. And Bjorkstrand was also the 10th most regular player, uh, most regular blue jacket forward on their power play. So uh, we'll have to watch the playoffs to see if any more clues uh, come out as to what kind of player Bjorkstrand is. I don't expect he'll suddenly see an influx of minutes. He seems pretty locked in in that 13-minute range. It would be lovely if he could suddenly get more. Uh, And when he gets that extra bump in ice time that he could uh, pull out the shot taking Oliver Bjorkstrand, who gets like four or five shots per game rather than the guy who gets fewer than two. Yeah, it kind of sounds, if I could tease apart what you're saying, it sounds like you're saying it's all about deployment, basically, with him. Like, we've seen that he has some talent. No, that's not what I'm saying. Oh, I say, you're saying if he only plays 13 minutes, he won't do that well. But, but we've seen No, but I'm can... saying in the same deployment, he has been two different kinds of player over the, la- over the first, you know, 70 games of the season and the last, and a chunk of the last seven or eight games of the season, where he had the same minutes and essentially the same line mates and same role but some of those games, he was throwing four to six shots on goal per game all of a sudden. That's what was helping him get those goals. So even with this constrained deployment, he's been able to, to show another side of himself that I would love to keep seeing in the playoffs and that I'd love to keep seeing in more minutes in the playoffs and next regular season, although that we, we can't count on either yet. Right. Okay. Well, if you're just saying that that's the the whole case, then I would say he's probably not going to keep it up because whatever, anyone could have a couple good high shot games. If you're telling me he had seven good shot games out of a whole season, then I wouldn't expect much. But like I said, like a lot could change next year for Columbus, right? Well, oh, all of a sudden you see him take a, have a... No, I'm going to say, but if he's doing it and it's working, then maybe that's who he can be. Like he's still young, right? He's not like some journeyman. He's, this is his age 23 season. So he'll just be turning 24 next year. So he should just be on the front end of his prime and it would be really lovely if uh, i know like when i see this sort of thing happening especially with a young player i wonder did they get different instructions and especially the fact that he's been able to score by putting all these shots on net then maybe it's like a hey kid that that's working keep doing that i mean to be fair brian it's not like getting shots on goal is the easy it's not as if like hey i like how you're taking more shots on goal keep doing that they're all trying to well except unless you're trying to make a, you know pass it to people so i guess it depends what you're saying right like if like, i'm sure there's a lot of players who are trying to take shots and just have trouble because they get stopped or the shot gets blocked or they miss the net and he happened to get all these shots on goal did you look into like how many shot attempts versus actual shots did you dig into that kind of thing yeah shot attempts also went up Interesting. All right. So yeah, he's a guy we'll have to see for next year. And like I said, there might be some big changes in Columbus. Not only will Panarin be gone, obviously Duchesne, who knows what'll happen with him, uh, but also like Nick Foligno, like how much longer is he sticking around? Like there are some pieces there that could move around. So we'll have to wait and see. Another guy who was super hot at the end of the season, he didn't crack like any top 10 lists or anything. But if you added David Savard as a free agent, like kudos to you because you got a basically a top producing D-man for free right at the end of the season because he was definitely available a couple of weeks ago. This guy ended the season with two goals and four assists in seven games along with 12 hits, 15 blocks. He just helped you all across the board. He ends the season with only 24 points, which was terrible. Like <laughs> David Savard is not a offensive contributor he only had 16 points last year somehow he ends up 24 this year yet he ends the season with six points in seven games so is this something where you saw something different in his deployment is david savard actually this amazingly offensive player and they, he just finally got unleashed or is this a total aberration and definitely don't draft david savard next year 
Yeah, I looked for a pattern, didn't find one to explain why he had a few games of relevance. So, uh, so yeah, I wouldn't, uh, don't get hung up on that. But still, for sure, a nice lesson. If anyone saw him heating up, that, that's the time of year where you take a chance on someone. And if you took a chance on David Savard after his first game with a point, maybe you grabbed him because you were liking the consistent hits and blocks, and then you got rewarded with a ton of points to go along with it. Okay, on the other side, on Columbus, we had a, pl- a couple players who really slowed down at the end. One I'm not too concerned about, but I'll bring it up. Josh Anderson, he was a guy we loved all season long. He went hot, he went cold, but then right when people needed him most, he went cold. Only one goal and one assist in his final seven games Still 27 goals and 47 points overall on this season. So a really successful season for Josh Anderson. And he seems like, to me, someone who could be in line for that Artemi Panarin line one left wing spot to play with Dubois and Atkins. I'm not, not going to guarantee it, but I, I feel like he's the type of guy that could get a shot there. So he could be, to me, a potential sleeper for next season. But we do have to acknowledge that he let a lot of people down in their fantasy finals if they went to the end of the season. Also not one of John Tortorella's favorite tools. You'd think he'd be, Josh Anderson would be one of the guys that Torts likes to use the most. Uh, only Bjorkstrand saw less power play time per game, although uh, that doesn't mean that Torts didn't like him. Uh, Anderson was the fourth most used Blue Jackets forward at five on five this year. He did have a small penalty kill role there, so that was his special team's duty. I actually drafted Josh Anderson. I might have mentioned this a few times over the course of the season with my last pick in a couple of leagues this year. I dropped him pretty quickly when the results weren't coming, like he was a streamer spot. Um, But I could see him doing similarly well next year, especially if he does get a small bump in deployment. So, uh, So Josh Anderson should be on fantasy radars. He still seems like somebody who sits around the top of free agency or goes very late in drafts and who just gets tossed around uh, back and forth between free agency as he goes hot and cold. Yeah, I'll I'll say that for our joint league, Brian, which ended two weeks ago, he was our MV- one of our MVPs. We picked him up out of free agency, and he was scorching for those, I guess, the fourth, last, and third last weeks of the actual NHL seasons. He was great, but yeah, went cold right at the end there. Adam is saying in the chat room, he's a nice player, but he's got nothing on the power play. So I'm not saying he's going to like step in and be our Temi Panarin, even if he could just take that top line spot and you know get the same power play deployment that would still be probably enough to get him to maybe 50 55 points especially in this new nhl where everyone gets above 50 points doesn't even take that much though one guy who really disappeared not only at the end of the season but kind of overall but mainly at the end of the season zach Wierenski. where the hell did this guy go he ends the season with only two assists in his final nine games he ended okay overall 44 points that's a pretty good season so i, I shouldn't if anything that goes to show how well he was doing before this final nine games but he was definitely not there for his owners when it counted it'll be really tough to decide when to draft Zach next season he did bump Seth Jones from the top power play for stretches in the second half of the season so it was looking like Wierenski might be able to get back to being this insane rookie that he was when he first started and looking like he was going to be a blue chip stud defenseman but now I'm just curious to get your current thoughts on Zach Wierenski who clearly is not a reliable guy that you could depend on as anyone who owned him for these last couple of weeks knows very well. Yeah, Wierenski only pointed in five of his last 14 games. In one of those games, he had a four-point night. So that covered a lot of the lack of production if you're just looking at the full span. Uh, The one thing I saw when I looked at Wierenski's numbers over the end of the season was that he was steadily seeing 23, 25 minutes a game. And then suddenly with uh, just over a week left, Wierenski's time on ice started fluctuating up and down in ways that it hadn't for a while. It went as low as 17 minutes, as high as 28 minutes. Uh, So usually like if it goes down low, it's like, ah, he's maybe playing injured. And if it goes up way high, it's like, oh, they're trying him in a new role. But neither one lasted. And usually you don't see the two together. So 
I don't know. I'm just going to put that out there if anyone wants to devise their own theories from it. Um, but something to continue watching through the playoffs. Otherwise, I'm really not a, thinking that Wierenski, uh is any different a player because of that still right in the 45 point wheelhouse is where I'd have him. Yeah, it's going to be so tough to talk about Columbus over the summer. First of all, I'm very excited for the playoffs, I have to say. And I know they got the hardest matchup of any team going up against Tampa in the first round. But I love the Blue Jackets story, how they you know brought in these ringers. They're really going for it. I hope they don't just get swept in four games. But then in the summer, it'll be very interesting to see what happens on July 1st, what happens with all the unrestricted free agents. And then we'll have a whole conversation with even guys like Wierenski, right? Like in his first season, a big part of his success was that he was getting all these power play points, but that was with Artemi Panarin in the picture and he might not be there. So yeah, we'll discuss it over the summer for sure. Okay, so fourth overall in total, cupful points over the last couple of weeks. This one should be easy. I'm surprised he's not first. Leon Dreisaitl, just like Bjorkstrand, he ended the season with seven goals in his last seven games to get him to 50 goals overall on the season. He was one shy of Ovechkin for the Rocket Richard Trophy. He was so close, but Ovechkin had 51. Dreisaitl, a solid 50 goals. I don't think anyone called that going into the year. I thought maybe he could hit 40. I didn't expect him to get 50. So Dreisaitl ends the season with a whopping 105 points. This from a guy who, like previously, he had never broken 30 goals or 80 points. And then he, this year, he has 50 goals and 105 points. So what does what are we going to do with Dreisaitl next year? Will we be looking at him as a 50-goal, 100-plus point guy next year in drafts? Or more of the like 30, 80 guy like we saw him as going into this year? And also, Brian, if you happen to have looked this up, like how many of his goals and points came from playing with and without Connor McDavid? Like, obviously, Leon Dreisaitl is an amazing player. You can't get to 50 goals without being so. But I'm just curious, like, how much did he depend on McDavid to get th- these amazing numbers this year? And also, I, I should I should say, like, shout out to Connor McDavid. I hope he has a very fast, successful recovery from this leg injury. That really sucks to have seen that right at the end last night. But uh, hopefully he'll be fine. And yeah, let's talk about Dreisaitl. Okay, um, Dreisaitl. So the first question you asked was, who is he? Is he more of a 30-goal, 80-point guy, or is he closer to 105 points as he was this year? And I'm going to say that I think he's closer to the higher end of that. I wonder if that surprises you uh, that I that I went that route. Well, what did I, you think I was going to say? I probably would have said you'd go lower or maybe do your classic like somewhere in the middle. Uh, <laughs> is, this, is this because of the fact that you assume he's going to continue to play a lot of minutes with Connor McDavid? Well, there's that, but you're also making it sound like he's dependent on McDavid, which like, of course, it helps to be playing with the best player in the world. But at the same time, uh, Leon Dreisaitl is a very good hockey player in his own right. Is he 105 points good already? That I'm not so sure. And the reason why I'm not sure about it is because he scored on 28 out of 140 of his five on five shots on goal. That's a 20% conversion rate. His career five on five shooting percentage to this point was actually in the low tens area rather than 20. So we can probably knock some goals or, or at least attribute some of the goals he scored at five on five to variance. He also saw a rise of a couple percentage points in his power play shooting percentage too. He also like, you know, you might say, well, maybe Leon Dreisaitl uh, became a better player, became more dangerous. You could say that about his power play uh, production, but you couldn't say that about his five on five, his expected goals for, uh, which you can look up on either Korsga.hockey or Evolving Wild, uh, which we credit at the end of every show. Um, anyway, Dreisaitl's ex- individual expected goals for rates stayed pretty much the same as in past years. 
Um, so I'm not thinking that he suddenly scored um, on almost twice as many of his shots uh, because he found a way to become more dangerous. Remember also um, last year, I, I feel like the more apt comparison, Elon, was last year, Dreisaitl had 70 points with awful power play luck and performance and a dearth of uh, secondary assists at five on five. Remember he had 23 primary assists, only seven secondaries. Uh, this year, Drysaddle had 105 points with proper power play performance. So that was corrected from last year, but probably too many goals on the whole, most of them coming at even strength. So I'd still have Drysaddle down as above a point per game player. Like I still like him for 90 points. He's a dominant player when he's on the ice. And yeah, he does get to play with Connor McDavid, which puts me towards the higher end of this 80 to 105 point range. To your question, Elon, about how much quote unquote, does he rely on McDavid, which I don't think is the right question here, but you said how many points did he score with McDavid? Uh, 87 of Dreisaitl's 105 points this year came alongside Connor McDavid. Wow. That's a, that's a crazy team right there. Yeah, well... <laughs> and the others I, still miss the playoffs. Well, of course. They had two players over 100 points. I think I saw... Some, is it annoying when I say that on the podcast? I think I saw somewhere. But like, I believe I saw somewhere that they're like one of the first teams to have 200-plus point players and not, and not make the playoffs in a, in a long time. Uh, Brian, so, okay, just to try to tease this out. If you don't have it, it's okay. We can move on. You say that uh, Drysaddle had 87 points with McDavid, which leaves around 20 points without him. Was that like what percentage of his time did he play with and without McDavid? Like, I just, I'm just curious to know, like, how good is he when he's not playing with McDavid? Like, what is his point pace when he's, you know, not with the best player in the world? Or Dave says maybe top five because he says Crosby in the chat room. He's like, oh, I didn't realize he was playing with Crosby. Well, there aren't four players named Sidney Crosby, if that's the route you want to go. And then uh, Dreisaitl played twelve, uh, roughly 1,200 minutes with Connor McDavid and roughly 600 minutes without. And that's at all strengths. So he basically had a fifth of the points or a fourth of the points in half the minute. So definitely he does a lot better when he plays with McDavid. I don't know what that actually tells us. It tells me that he's probably like if the Oilers ever get enough depth that they could split these guys up and still get points. I feel like Dreisaitl's probably closer to like the 70, 80 point player. But uh, that probably won't happen just because who do they have next year? They're going to have to go line one, Zach Cassian, Dreisaitl and McDavid or some other schmo on that top line. Yeah, you definitely want to be playing with Connor McDavid. And you can see Dreisaitl's numbers uh, be worse without McDavid. Like McDavid is a game changer for anyone he plays with, even somebody who is really good with Dreisaitl. So yeah, if Dreisaitl was separated from McDavid, uh, I'd still expect a whole whack of power play points, like 25, 30, hopefully. And then maybe he'd be limited to say 40 at even strength or 50 in the best case scenario. Yeah, but clearly someone that if, if he gets picked, if he would have been picked in the first round of a draft this year, a lot of people have been like, what are you taking Drysaddle? And they go, oh, I think he's going to have 50 goals. And you would have been totally laughed at. Next year, you can pick Drysaddle in the first round of a fantasy draft and no one should bat an eye. I don't think. Except don't expect 50 goals. 40 goals would be very reasonable. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, especially because he got seven goals in his last seven games. So before that, he was on pace for a lot less and then he just exploded. That's uh, not okay. quite how it works, though. Well, how does it work? Well, like it's just because of his season long shooting percentages. It's not because over his last seven games he had a high shooting percentage. 
I guess, but I also would think that I would look at the pace that he was generally putting up and trust that more than the pace he put up in the last two weeks of the season. But we're nitpicking. Okay, so fifth overall, like I said, was Dylan Larkin. And then rounding out the top 10 of top cupful players over the last couple of weeks, we've got Hubert Doe at sixth, Pasternak seventh, Radulov eighth, Stamkos ninth, and then Sagan at 10th. We already talked about Hubert Doe last week. Amazing season. He kept it going all the way through the fantasy playoffs. So kudos to anyone who drafted Jonathan Hubert Doe. He had an amazing year. Uh, we'll talk about him more in the summer. I want to talk about David Pasternak quickly. This guy is unreal. He ended the season with seven goals and eight assists in 10 games after returning from his thumb injury. Like he came back. It was as if he was never gone. 15 points in 10 games. He ends the season with 81 points in 66 games overall for a hundred point pace. Welcome to the first round of, I think all fantasy drafts next year, David Pasternak. I remember last summer I had what I thought was a hot take that I'd rather draft Pasternak over Marshand. I don't even know if that actually, they were pretty even, I guess, throughout the season, but next year that won't be considered a hot take at all. Would it be crazy? Right. Tell me this is too crazy. Would it be crazy for me to say that I think the best is still yet to come? from David Pasternak, 100-point pace this year. I feel like he could do even better next year. I could see him contending for the Art Ross with the likes of like McDavid and Kucherov next season. So I'm ready for you to throw a bucket of cold water on me, but I'm loving David Pasternak. I, it probably helps that I owned him in the couple. He helped lead me to a championship. But just it just seems like he's the, so reliable. Like I had Braden Point on my team. Pretty reliable, right? He was pretty great. But like David Pasternak, it was like a guarantee every time he played, I was going to get a point or two. No, I'm not throwing a bucket of cold water on you about Pasternak either. Uh, his season was fantastic. And the best news, uh, perfectly sustainable from what I'm looking at. Like Pasta, had he played a full season, uh, he would have been on pace for 47 goals, which I think is totally legit. He looks like a 100-point a, a player for sure. And do you know how old he is, Elon? It's like nothing. He's a baby. He's a baby. He's 22 years old. You can still count that in months. He's so young. So it's not at all out of the question that Pasternak can continue to improve heading into his age 23 season and beyond. Of course, the question about Pasternak with his improvement is that uh, he's got a couple line mates who are a fair amount older than her, you've, than him. Uh, you've got Marchand, uh, who's going to be 31 next season. Bergeron's going to be going in his age 34 season. And so you wonder how that washes out. Like if they still play together as a line, look, I have the utmost faith in both Marchand and Bergeron, but you have to wonder as they get older, the chances of decline, uh, the likelihood of decline is is higher. And then you wonder if that washes out whatever individual improvements Pasternak makes. You also wonder how long they play together as we've seen the Bruins experiment. And I, I, that's something I'll be interested to look into in the summer is uh, how reliant Pasternak is on Marchand and Bergeron and how much he can do on his own. Yeah, I've got like two things to throw, like two counterpoints to what you're saying there. First of all, yeah, there were a few games, I guess not too many, like a handful of games where Pasternak was bumped, not, I wouldn't say bumped, but shuffled to a different line to play with like Krejci and DeBrusque or something. And from what I recall, he was just fine. Like he was still getting points every game. So uh, I, I get the feeling he would be fine. Not to say that I don't think the same thing about Dreisaitl, but maybe we are talking about the difference between an 80-point player and a 100-plus point player. Uh, also, uh, I guess you could call this a pro or con, but Bergeron and Pasternak, or sorry, Bergeron and Marchand, you talk about them being a bit old. They both just are coming off their best. They've had their best season this year. Like they're as good as they've ever been. So you almost could say, like Adam in the chat room was saying, the fact that Bergeron and Marchand had their best ever season, maybe that means that Pasternak's going to slow down next year because what are the odds they'll be able to top that? But on the other hand, what I'm saying is like, I don't think this age thing should be con- uh, something to be concerned about. I-, I threw this like crazy theory at you, Brian. I, like We were just chatting. You didn't even respond. I think you were like so just like disinterested in my theory. Oh uh, no, I was interested. 
interested. <laughs> I, I think there might be something to the fact, like a lot of players this year are older, like in their 30s. And we used to, I remember when we first started Keeping Carlson, you would talk a lot about aging curves and how like once a player hits their 30s, they tend to like, you know, start regressing in their numbers until they finally like leave the league. But this year, it seems like there's a whole bunch of 30s, you know, Brent Burns jumps to mind. Someone who's also having a career year, like Bergeron and Marchand. Like these guys are in their 30s and doing as good as ever. Here's my theory for why I think this is happening. I think this might be, a t- we might need to start adjusting these aging curves. I wonder if the past aging curves will no longer apply, or maybe I'm totally out to lunch here because I'm just making stuff up off the top of my head. But like, obviously I think there's pros and cons to aging, right? The pro is that you gain more experience. Like Marchand and Bergeron have been in the NHL a long time. They have hockey smarts. Like they know where to go. They know where to be. They, they, you know, they're really experienced hockey players. And just like in any job, experience helps you. The downside of aging is you're older, like you have wear and tear, right? Like you've been, you've been had a few injuries, you're a little bit slower, but I feel like as the technology improves in terms of rehabilitation and like sports medicine, like I feel like there's less wear and tear on players nowadays. Like maybe in the olden days where you would have like broken a bone or tore a muscle or whatever, you, and again, now I'm totally out of my element. I know nothing about medicine, but I would assume that back in the day, that would be a serious thing that maybe you would never fully recover from. But now, you know, they give you shots of stuff and they have fancy surgeries and, and cool med. I don't know what they do, but it seems like these players could come back so fast and be so great. So I just wonder if maybe we're gonna have to adjust these aging curves now because the medicine is so great and the technology is so great to help players like get to their 30s and not have as much wear and tear on their bodies. But they do have all that great experience that they've accumulated from a full career already in the NHL. So I don't know, just something to throw out there. I don't know. Do you even want to respond or should, should we move on and uh, thank our sponsor for this week's episode? It's a very interesting theory. And when I, I like you also have to balance that with how just goal scoring is going up and up and up in the NHL. So you wonder what the connections are there between training and science and recovery and rest and all these extra ways that players are are trying to achieve and sustain peak performance. So I, I'm into your theory, Elon. I don't think the like peak performance will change like I still think a a player's peak years will be the same but maybe you have a point that decline uh, can be staved off a little longer than it once was and the only way to find out is to continue tracking it for another five or ten years yeah I guess like but I would even argue with you about the peak right because my argument is like experience you get better with experience but anyways let's debate that maybe in a summer series episode we still got a lot of players to cover all I know is that the Toronto Maple Leafs are in a lot of trouble because they're gonna be playing the Boston Bruins who are gonna have Bergeron, Marshawn, Pasternak all having come off career seasons and they're hungry for a cup and I think it's gonna be a really tough series I can't wait to watch one of these games you know what would be really amazing would be to see one of these games live and speaking of seeing a live NHL playoff game like I said I'd love to go to a Leafs Bruins game and you know what if you ever need tickets for that or anything else make sure to check out our sponsor SeatGeek for a long time buying tickets has been really difficult and annoying with few big companies who don't really care about the customer well SeatGeek they're a ticket company also but they're a ticket company where the customer comes first that's right the customer comes first, uh, not the shareholders. Okay, now I'm going off book a little bit. Okay, With more than 50,000 five-star reviews in the App Store, SeatGeek is focused on making your experience as easy as possible. SeatGeek pulls in millions of tickets from all over the web, rates each deal on a scale of 1 to 10, and displays them on an interactive seat map so it's easy to find what you're looking for. This is how it works. Green dots are for good deals. Red dots are for overpriced deals. It's that simple. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets with confidence. Brian, I'm in Toronto, like I said. I want to check out a Leafs playoff game. But you know what? The Leafs aren't the only show in town right now. The Toronto Raptors are about to be starting their playoff run. Looks like they're going to come second in the Eastern Conference in the NBA. If I wanted to go to one of either 
the game three of Leafs Bruins next week or game one for the Raptors versus TBD. I guess we don't know yet. It looks like this Saturday. Which one do you think would be more expensive? I'm going to go with game one Raptors. Guess what? I would have thought that too. You're totally wrong. You could, Wow. Uh, on SeatGeek, uh, $138 I'm seeing right now to see game one for the Raptors. We're looking at 400 plus to see the Leafs. The Leafs is a hot ticket, but you know what? $407? Eh, it's, a, it's a kind of a bit. How about only $397? How, Brian, how can our listeners get that great discount? Yeah, you can save $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase because you listen to us, Keeping Carlson. Uh, they uh, SeatGeek supports our show, so why don't you support them too? And this is an incentive to do it. All you need to do is use our promo code KEEPING for $10 off on your first purchase. Uh, you can use that for concert tickets, sports comedy elon's favorite whatever you want uh, that's promo code keeping enter it uh, to get ten dollars off your very first seat geek purchase yeah i actually just went to a comedy show before uh, we started recording this is we're off the seat geek promotion now. this is just me chatting with my friend brian here okay uh ben schwartz and thomas middleditch you might know them from well middleditch you know from silicon valley ben schwartz from uh i don't know parks and recreation a bunch of bunch of things so far, it was a improv show generally when i go see brian do you like improv like going to see it live? Uh, yeah. I, don't, I find it sometimes awkward. Like I feel like nervous that they're going to like not be funny or their things aren't landing and like makes me kind of uncomfortable. I don't know. I've had good experiences watching improv. Generally, it's not my favorite. I saw it was a Schwartz and Middleditch show. I thought I got to get, I don't even know. I didn't even say it was an improv show. I didn't even know what it was going to be sketch comedy, like stand up. They did improv, the funniest improv I've ever seen. I was, I was dying. So funny. I was like thinking like, I hope I could be half as funny on the show tonight. So let's see how I do when we talk about some of these other players who were in the top 10 of forwards for a couple of scores. Well, skaters, but there were no defensemen that cracked the top 10. I mentioned that Radulov and Sagan were both there. And Brian, I got to admit, I haven't watched any Stars games lately. Dallas may be the team where I actually own the fewest players throughout the season in all of my leagues. I don't know why that happened, but generally I watch games of the teams where I have players in my fantasy leagues because I like to cheer on my players. Uh, but anyways, Radulov and Sagan look like they almost single-handedly willed this team into the playoffs, like along with their goaltenders like Bishop and, Kudo- and Hudobin, I should say. Uh, like Again, this is just from the numbers, but like, holy cow, Radulov and Sagan. So five goals and six assists in seven games for Radulov to end the year. Four goals and five assists for Sagan. So just a huge offensive output to get the Stars all the wins they needed to sneak into the playoffs, get that top wildcard spot. Radulov ends the year with 72 points for the second year in a row, but this time... Only to, he only played 70 games. Last year, it took him 82 games to get to 72 points. This year, he pays for a lot higher because he got 72 points in 70 games, over a point per game. 80 points for Sagan on the season, which is his second best ever total. He's actually paced for more a couple of years, but he missed around 10 games in those years where he was pacing for higher. Anyway, like, is there any reason to not expect these guys to keep this up again next year? It seems like Radulov and Sagan are almost... Like, even though, but I was going to say, you know, guaranteed to, you know, get you like 70 or 80 points, respectively. On the other hand, you got Jamie Ben, who we would have said that about recently. He ends the season with only two assists in his final six games. So useless in the playoffs if you held on to him. And he ends the season with 53 points overall in 78 games. Just a terrible season for Jamie Ben. Are we looking at this point at Radulov as the clear better pick over Ben in playoff pools and then in next year's drafts? Is Ben done as being a near point per game guy? So yeah, I want to get your take on our, like, because I feel like almost I'm contradicting myself. You know, I want to ask you if Radulov and Sagan are locks to be just as good next year. But then on the other hand, we have to counter that with, I thought Jamie Ben was close to a lock and clearly it's not the case. So what's going on with these three guys? 
Okay, let's start with Alexander Radulov, who saw about 20 minutes a night for the second time in as many years as he spent in Dallas. And one thing I liked about Radulov's season this year is that he shot more than he has in the past. Radulov paced for 244 shots on goal, which would have been about a 30-shot improvement over last season's 82-game total. And while you might say, ah, 30 shots, what's the big deal? Over the course of 82 games, it's you know not going to help me a whole lot. And, and you're right. But it still actually is like a pretty reasonable raise in shot total. So good for Alex Radulov for doing something significant that might still not really show up or register on your fantasy scoreboard. One thing you need to watch is Radulov's age. His 33-year-old season is coming up, but you have to love, uh, like Bergeron and Marchand, Radulov stepped it up in his age 32 year. Uh, like he, he shot more, like I just said, he attempted more shots, put more shots on net than he had in past years, which gives... Radulov have a nice cushion. So like if he does happen to decline because of his age, maybe he'll just be back at where he was in his age 31 season, which is a, a, a that was 72 points. That wouldn't be so bad. It was also nice for Radulov. He was able to get more points because more goals were being scored while he was on the ice compared to last season. And in a way that could uh, continue next year in a somewhat sustainable way. Sagan, going to say he was just more steady as she goes. There was one number that really stuck out for him last year in his disappointing campaign. That was his IPP at five on five. It went down to 55%, which is like what we'd expect really nobody of any uh, relevance playing forward to have. So this year Sagan was back uh, to his normal, usual self, uh, getting it on 75% of the goals scored while he was on the ice. And so uh, that's why he had such a great season, why I'll still expect him to have another one next year. Jamie Ben is the big question mark, right? What do we do with this guy? Anybody who put big stock in him, especially in a bangers league, is just like, what was the point of drafting this guy? And the thing is, so I'm looking through his numbers and I'm seeing, well, his five on five efforts weren't actually so bad. Like Jamie Ben did not have his best season at five on five. We've seen better. Would have been great if he had another, I don't know, five, maybe 10 points at five on five, but there wasn't as much room for him to improve on five on five this year as there was on the power play. I would have loved another 15 points from Jamie Ben on the power play. He had just 11 power play points all season long. And four of those 11 points came in Ben's first three games of the season. That means Jamie Ben had seven power play points over his final 75 games of the year. And one of those power play points came in that 75th game. So he had six power play points in 74 games. What the heck happened to Jamie Ben's power play production? So first off, the thing that happened to Sagan at 5-on-5 last year happened to Jamie Benn on the power play. His IPP just crashed down to 40%. Um, That's going to go back up. And for what it's worth, Jamie Benn's own expected goals for numbers, he actually posted a career high. Like, And his goals totals on the power play weren't so off. Jamie Benn was just not able to pick up as many apples, but hopefully he will find an orchard full of apples again next season. I would expect a bounce back season for Jamie Ben next year. I'm not going to be so gun shy about him, although I am going to hope that I can grab him. I don't know, one, two, three rounds later in in this upcoming year's drafts than I, I would have had to grab him last year.
well, I think goes without saying you'll be able to get him l- later next year after what I say a fifty-five point season. Like this was just a useless season for Jamie Ben. Plus, he leaves fifty-three points, and plus, like I said, he left a sour taste in his owner's mouth when he left them ha- uh, hanging and dry in the playoffs with only two assists in his final six games. So I don't laugh at me and not knowing common sayings. Uh, but Brian, so you say you expect him to bounce back? Like, how high are we talking? Are we talking? point per game Jamie Ben, or like he'll get back to being able to get more than 60 points you know I never totally bought into point per game Jamie Ben, but I think 70 points would be a reasonable expectation just think he had 11 power play points this year I think it's reasonable to expect him to get 20 to 25 so you toss the difference onto his point totals and that definitely gets him to 65 and hopefully with a little more uh, fortune at five on five that gets him up and above 70 potentially yeah, I think one thing that you could say is in his favor is that Zuccarello is now in the pictures. So they have another good score to play with him at even strength. And on the power play, you don't have to depend on the Radic Faxas and the uh, hints of the world. Not that saying that they're not good players, but, you know, it's nice to play with superstar players. And Zuccarello is one of those or more so than the other two guys I just mentioned. You're assuming that Dallas resigned Zuccarello. They did acquire him. It, I mean, the intent was great, right? Let's get somebody else who can be uh, offensively threatening to play in this Dallas top six. But uh, let's remind everyone that Zuccarello is an unrestricted free agent. Uh, So we'll see. Dallas gets first crack at him. um, And we'll see, I guess, how the playoffs go and how the two get along. And it would be, it would be a good thing for Jamie Ben if Matt Zuccarello or just some other similarly talented forward was able to, to be with there with Ben in the top six. Yeah, for sure. Okay, for some reason I thought that he re-signed, like, or he signed with him after he got traded, but I guess not. No, so hopefully Dallas, they, they've seen that they could use another strong player. I don't think you needed, a, you know, a, a brilliant genius to tell them that. Obviously, Valerie Nishushkin didn't work out. What did he have, zero points on the season or zero goals on the season? Zero goals for Valerie Nishushkin, isn't it? That's terrible. Yeah. Where, he, like, he's... Like, how deep does your league have to be for Nachushkin to get drafted next year? 65 shots in 57 games, 10, 10 assists. That's it. Yeah, I guess he'll be drafted around Tobias Reeder next year. I feel like those two will be neck and neck, the zero goal wonders. Uh, okay, so we're rounding out this top 10 in a couple of points over the last couple of weeks. I already said Sagan, who was number 10. Number nine, Steven Stamkos, six goals and three assists in his final six games. We both projected him for 90 points on the season. He ended with 98. I think our projections would probably, like overall, would look a lot better if we were to apply like a 10% inflation to each of them for the increase in goal scoring this year. But yeah, Stamkos pretty much, I- I'm going to give it to us for projecting that he was going to keep it up and obviously that wasn't a very hard projection to make i honestly can't really think of anything else to say about steven stankos or for that matter like 120 point nikita kucherov like i don't think we need to spend five minutes talking about how great these guys are if anything i'd rather spend our tampa time talking about mikhail sergachev who ended the season with seven points in five games saw a nice time on ice increase when victor hedman was out it was overall a very disappointing season for Sergachev. We both pegged him in the Almanac to hit 40 points, but he only got to 32 in 75 games. Do you, like, do we, what do we think about Sergachev at this point? Do you see him as a potential breakout star next year? God, he's still only 20 years old, right? He had 40 points last season. I guess it's like a 19 or 18 year old. Now he'll be, I guess, 21 next year. Uh, he's had now a season of 40 points, a season of 32 points, but he ended this year strong. Uh, like, I feel like I'd rather have him than Jonathan Druin, who we've talked about in previous episodes as really having dropped the ball on the Habs. But yeah, so maybe the Habs would want to do over on that. But what do you think about Sergachev for next season? Do you think that he's someone who people should be drafting as a sleeper? I don't think that he should be drafted as a, as a sleeper in leagues that have like 
more are more than four defensemen deep. I think he could be a really valuable pick in that scenario, but in leagues who have uh three, four defensemen. Like he's probably that third or fourth guy. The reason that Sergachev did not reach last year's heights is uh, I'll go to his performance on the power play uh, is essentially like he lost all those. What was the difference in points, Elon? Can you say it again? He had 40 points two seasons ago and then 32 points this season. Okay. Yeah. So last season, or this is the awkward point where we don't know how to refer to each season. Um, so I'm going to say in 2017-18, Sergachev had 16 power play points. In 18-19, Sergachev had just six power play points. And there's two reasons that he lost 10 power play points between those two seasons. Uh, the first is in his own numbers on the power play. Uh, he wasn't so much the bombs away guy from the point that he'd been two seasons ago. Uh, this past season, his average power play time on ice was down a smidge. Um, he wasn't taking as many shots. I think I covered that his IBP wasn't as high. Like his numbers uh, this year were a mix of regression from the year before and just less involvement. So uh, that, those were a couple elements working against Mikhail Sergachev. But I don't know if either one was as critical to his power play success or lack thereof than uh, a fellow by the name of Braden Point having graduated from the second unit to the top unit full-time this season. Uh, two seasons ago, Sergachev got to play with Braden Point for most of his power play time. This year, uh, Sergachev was generally playing with Tyler Johnson, Yanni Gord, Alex Kalorn were his most common power play line mates. So um, Sergachev can't, or no defenseman can really put up 16 power play points from the second unit every single year. And it's uh, even more unlikely to do when the top personnel leave your unit and your own numbers aren't bloated or inflated enough to compensate for that player's absence. So I wouldn't expect Sergachev to, to blow the doors off for as long as he's on the second power play unit. Maybe he can still get back to 40, definitely in the 35 to 40 range. No problem with him there, which still makes him a decent depth pick. Uh, in the future, but I wouldn't be expecting a 45 point player so long as he remains uh, away from the top power play players. Yeah, I guess it's the kind of thing, Brian, where, and it's fair, this is not a judgment, but I feel like you're never going to get Sergachev right because if we know that he's going to be on the top power play, like, you know, like, uh, I feel like he won't be on the top power play until he is. Yeah. If that makes sense. And so, like, you're going to get it right until eventually you're totally off. And if we think that he has the potential to get like 60 points, which it seems like he might be, I feel like really in the end, like all of your analysis is really good. But to me, it's like when he's playing 16, 17 minutes a game, you can't expect too much. But we saw with Hedman out, he got that bump, which I really like to see. Of course, Tampa didn't have much to play for. Like maybe if they were actually needing to win these games and not just try to see what they have going into the playoffs, maybe they would have done things differently. I feel like once we get the confidence that Cooper is going to play Sergachev, you know, 20 minutes plus per game, regardless, you know, it's hard to expect too much from him, but I think that the potential is there for him to be a really fantasy relevant player. And we saw Ryan McDonough having a great fantasy playoffs, even from the second power play. And like Tampa scores so many goals that you don't need that much power play time to still get you 40, 45, maybe even 50 points if everything breaks right. But Sergeyev's going to need more ice time. He's still really young, like I said. So we'll see what happens. I'm holding out hope for him. I'd definitely grab him with a late pick next year if I could get him. Do you think Sergachev gets on the top power play unit for as long as Hedman is there? 
Uh, probably not unless they go with two defensemen or unless they maybe split the two power plays. You know, like Toronto a couple seasons ago had like Morgan Riley yeah. and Jake Gardner both each on a power play and they both got like close to 50 points or I think they both broke. I, don't, I know that Gardner had 50 points. So, you know, it's I feel like there's ways for Sergachev to get up to 50 points with Hedman in the picture. But I think it part of that is going to involve him playing more than 20 minutes a game consistently. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that's probably the best case scenario for Sergachev, at least in the like next handful of years, that he gets to play on a good second power play unit. And that all depends on if Tampa can amass the personnel to fill two power play units, which they're not far from doing. But I, I really think like that's the only scenario in which he can get reliably 15 power play points or more in a season. Yeah, so, hey, he doesn't need to get, like, 70 points or 60 points to be totally fantasy relevant. Like, if he could hit 45, I think that would be a really nice year. But, okay, so let's move on from the top 10 uh, overall. Let's look at the top 10 defensemen. Or, actually, I'm going to tell you seven. Okay, we talked about David Savard, who had an amazing end of the season. There were seven defensemen who had more points in the last couple of weeks over David Savard. So here are the seven players who had more points than David Savard in the last couple of weeks in the couple. We've got Petrangelo, Barry, Truba, who we've talked about a lot. Uh, Brian's finally come around on Jacob Truba while he's on the top power play, of course. Uh, Alex Edler, Gustafsson, Brent Burns, and number one, Dougie Hamilton was the most valuable defenseman in the couple for the last couple of weeks. What an end to the season for Hamilton. Brian, so let's talk about him. Then you could decide if you want to touch on any of these other defensemen. But I want to I want to focus on Dougie here. He ends the season with four goals and two assists in his final seven games, along with 18 hits and 22 shots. So he's helping you all across the board. Hamilton is starting to fall into a bit of a pattern. It seems to me like he was, again, super quiet at the start of the season. He had 10 points in his first 38 games, then ended super strong with 29 points in his final 44 games. If he would have done that all season that would have been a 54 point pace but Hamilton ends with only 39 points overall so it's actually his worst season since being back in Boston like his second year of his career was worse after that he was always above 39 points this year only 39 but hey if that 54 point pace that he put up in the second half of this season if he could have done that all year that would have been good for his best pace ever so it's really hard for me like as always it seems with Dougie Hamilton to project like who is this guy like I feel like we always get him wrong at the start and end up being kind of right by the end but like I I feel like I want to recommend to people that Dougie Hamilton's a great guy to draft in playoff pools he's a great guy to draft next year but I also wouldn't be surprised if he starts the season cold again and I have no idea why he does that the crazy thing is he's he ended the season like I said in a 54 point pace but I don't think he bumped Justin Falk from that top power play he did this all from the second power play which isn't too bad by the way it's got like Svechnikov and Jordan Stahl like it's not a dearth of of talent and that's why I think Carolina could actually be a scary team for the Capitals in the first round but we'll get to that in a little bit but Brian what do you think about Dougie Hamilton's amazing finish to the season not only the past couple of weeks but basically the second half of the year He looked great, and this is the Dougie Hamilton we hoped we'd see at the start of the year. He didn't come out right away, but eventually he did, and and thank goodness for that. Actually, Elon, to go on a bit of a tangent, there is like a a theme this year of playoff MVPs having been guys who were uh, on the outs earlier in the season. Hamilton's one of them. You mentioned how... His first, he started crummy and then picked it up. Uh, look at the other, some of the other top performers over the fantasy playoffs. You've got Steven Stamkos, who we had people panicking about. I remember selling, sending some buy low offers on Stamkos at the start of the season because he had five points in 10 games to begin the year. He finished with 19 points over his last 12. Tyler Sagan, we just talked about, had 16 points in 27 games from mid-October to mid-December, 15 points in his last 10 games to finish the season. 
Vladimir Tarasenko, 10 points. I, I, I don't really need to rehash him because he was probably the most asked about player to us all season long. He had 10 points in 26 games during a two-month cold snap. Finished the season with 14 points in his last 12. Uh, Sergei Bobrovsky, who we might get to in a bit, also fits this pattern of a guy who stunk at some point. But these are all stars who we can rely on. And I think the lesson is, if, is, is if you have one of these guys, try to hang on. Things will get better. Although Hamilton's name doesn't quite ascend to the status of Stamkos, Sagan, Tarasenko, and Bobrovsky as a goalie is a whole other thing. And there's probably, like, I can think of one counterexample of a star name who, if you hung on, you really paid for it. Uh, is that who you're you're eager to jump in with, Elon? No, tell me yours. I've got one also. Oh, Patrick Liney is oh. the guy that if you hung on to him uh, or bought low on uh, that did bite you. But these other guys, like these guys are superstars for a reason, right? I think nine times out of 10, they're going to deliver. Well, uh, we talked about someone on this episode already who didn't deliver Jamie Ben, right? He was a huge disappointment. Yeah. So- it's no guarantee, it's, but... I wouldn't, but I wouldn't put him up there. Like I'm talking point per game players. I see. Okay. And I, I, I don't, I don't know that I predict. I projected Jamie Ben to be a point, point okay. per game player. Okay. Now you're getting nitpicky because I think like uh, players who have gotten point per game in multiple seasons <laughs> should count as point per game players. You- not, not, I don't think I had him there this season, but I had the other guys okay. there. Anyway. So if you're thinking um, of dropping a star, you have to tweet at Brian and ask, do you see this guy as a point-per-game player? And then if he says no, then it's okay, maybe. But if not, hold on. That's your advice. Okay. I'm just trying to divine a lesson from all this. Yeah. Uh, that's the best I could no, do. I think it's a good In lesson. I, ha- I, I okay. wanted to have a whole segment. Maybe we'll get to it at the end. Yeah, I was ready for it. That's why I had all that information. All right, well, it's been an hour. We still have a lot to get to. Maybe, I know people also don't like it. I don't, I listen to podcasts, I don't like it when the hosts start rushing or like teasing things they don't get to. So we'll do some lessons at the end. And there's one of Brian's lessons. Hold on to your stars. Uh, Sometimes it'll bite you, but I guess overall it should work out most of the time. But one of my lessons was going to say, don't be afraid to drop people. So maybe we'll have to debate that a little bit. Both can be true. Well, sure, both can be true, and then you have no idea what to do when the situation yep. comes no, up. I, so I think my advice is more like hold a guy when he's struggling at the front end of the season. But yeah, there's less there's less rope at the end. Oh, yes. Okay, in that case, yeah, I totally agree. That's my favorite thing in fantasy, to be a scavenger, and in the first month or two of the season, wait for the, all these slumping stars to get dropped, and then scoop them up, and then you'll have them for the end. Yeah, for sure. you got to hold on to the big-name players that you drafted early or at least try to trade them like for something, you know, like I had Matt Murray, I mentioned, I think on a previous podcast or on some show that we did, uh, like I was trying to trade him when he was crappy in November. I'm not going to lie. I'm really happy. No one took any of my offers, but my offers weren't like total garbage, right? Like I was trying to get something of value for him. I was, I wasn't considering dropping him outright just because I knew what the upside was. And I drafted him so high. Anyways, speaking of Murray, let's go to goalie. So who were the top goalies in the cupful over the last couple of weeks? There are seven that broke 40 cupful points and we count actually saves a lot more than wins. And like we, you know, count goals against again. So we look more at goalie performance and the goalie who performed the best, just barely a number one, uh, I'm saying compared to number two, but he was amazing. Sergei Bobrovsky. Wow. What an end of the season for Bobrovsky. Six wins in his final seven games, including three shutouts. Just to be a jerk, I will say that those wins came against Vancouver, the Islanders, Montreal, Nashville, Buffalo, and the Rangers. So not exactly the highest scoring of teams. Not to take anything away from Bobrovsky's amazing previous two weeks, but I feel like it might be a little harder for him when he goes against the Tampa Bay Lightning for four-plus games over the next couple of weeks. Hopefully, he can at least be 
slight, like as uh, similar in the slightest way to how he's been lately, because he's going to need to be bad and a lot more to help the Blue Jackets get past the Lightning. My guess is that he's going to blow it. <laughs> That's what I've seen in the past. I'd be very surprised if Bobrovsky could keep up these shutouts and these nine twenty plus save percentage games against the Lightning. But curious to know what you think. Of course, he's in tougher against the Lightning. I think any team, you know, like the Lightning have just been a dominant force in the, in our, what what, what did we call it? Our playoff team picking auction draft. So on our last patron cast, we had a segment where Elon Yumi and uh, Ultimate Cupful Champ Dave had a 20 or $30 budget and we each picked teams auction style to win the cup. So Tampa, I spent $19 on, I think the next highest anyone spent on another team was $11. So I spent a good chunk of, of my budget. I think essentially, if you're trying to project the playoffs this year, it's Tampa Bay or the field. That's what it comes down to. Tampa Bay, 62 wins this year. I think it's the most since uh, the Red Wings uh, back in 95, 96, if I have my numbers right. Of course, the Red Wings did not win the cup that year. So maybe the same happens. Uh, who knows, right? That, that's why they play the games. I'm very excited to watch the playoffs. But Sergei Bobrovsky will be in tough to prove uh, his playoff trouble record wrong right? Like this is a really tough assignment. If he's trying to shake a stigma that follows him that he can't perform in the playoffs, I, at least on the bright side, maybe it's like everyone will just forgive it. It's like, ah, you know, it was the lightning. What was he supposed to do? Yeah, that's fair. By the way, Brian, I love that's like a classic Brian Com way of speaking where you do that like one word a second when you're like sort of trying to show that you're not sure what words to say. I I love when you do that. Uh, I'll, can I, can I nitpick again also just for fun? Do it. I would say it's not Lightning versus the field 50-50. I'm going to go by Dom Lucision, who we've had on the podcast, re- always projects these like odds of to win the cup and all these things. So he had a tweet recently of his like super, you know, he ran it through the computer. He got all the bleep bloops happening to figure out what are the odds of each team to win the Stanley Cup based on, I don't know, God knows what. Uh, he's got the Lightning a 26% chance to win. And then after that, you've got like, I guess... I don't know, 12% for Nashville. And uh, you could go see the tweet. Uh, all that to say that I would say it's 50 50. I'd say 26%. So, Brian, obviously, you made a smart. Uh, I think you were good in that draft. I didn't say it was 50 50 either. Well, you said it was like lightning versus the field. Made me think yeah. it's like 1v1. But anyway. It doesn't well, mean they have equal chances. Yeah, I actually really like uh, the Boston Bruins, who I think will play them in round two. Sorry to the Leafs fans out there, but I think that could be a really good series. But I think this first series could be good, too. But we'll get to our playoff preview soon. I wanted to talk about some more of these goalies who were really great at the end of the season. Number two, Brian, your friend and mine, Darcy Kemper, ends the season with seven wins in a row. Or no, sorry, seven games in a row, letting in two or fewer goals. He didn't win all those games because Arizona totally forgot how to score. Maybe they never knew. Uh, But yeah, overall, like I said, seven games in a row of two or fewer goals. That is an MVP right there. That's a goal you can rely on. He ends the season with a 925 save percentage in 55 games overall. This is after a 920 save percentage in 29 games last season. So we're approaching almost 100 games of Darcy Kemper being a well above average goalie in the NHL. And actually, Brian, just to make you especially mad at me, I'm going to go ahead and make my argument for why maybe Darcy Kemper should be considered in the running for the Vesna trophy this season. Here, I know you're okay. You're probably getting mad, but hear me out. I'm not. Why do you think I'm getting mad? You, you've like completely ignored the last three times we've talked about Darcy Kemper. On the, you just prefer it. It's easier to play off of me if I hate Darcy Kemper. All right, so you're with me. He's going to win the Vesna. I'm or listening just- to your argument without rage. Okay, <laughs> so 
First of all, you might say, yeah, he didn't play like that many games. So maybe he doesn't deserve to win it. Like he wasn't the starter to start the year. Guess what? He actually played two more games than Andre Vasilevsky, who I think is a lot of people's front runners. And also Kemper and Vasilevsky, they both had the same save percentage on the season. They both had a 925. Vasilevsky had 12 more wins, of course, but I don't think you could blame that on Darcy Kemper. If anything, you might want to say that Vasilevsky maybe had an easier go at it. Not to say Arizona is actually a really good defensive team, uh, but Darcy Kemper, you know, playing on Arizona, probably not as easy as Vasilevsky playing on Tampa. I feel like a lot of goalies on Tampa would get a lot of wins at the very least. Vasilevsky, not to take anything away from him. He's, I think, the biggest competition because, like, who else really is there to compete with these two guys? You've got Ben Bishop and Robin Leonard. They both put up better save percentage, uh, 934 and 930, respectively. But both only played in 46 games compared to 55 for Kemper, like I said, and 53 for Vasilevsky. So I feel like that's we're starting to border on maybe not enough games. You've got Bennington, who was also amazing. He only played 32 games. Matt Murray ended the season with a 919 save percentage playing 50 games. So I don't think he compares. Carey Price ended strong, but only 918 overall. Rene, uh, 918 save percentage. I don't know. To me, I think it might be between Kemper and Vasilevsky. And I could, th- I probably would vote Vasilevsky if I, Brian, do you think we're ever going to get credentials as hockey media so that we can vote on these trophies? I don't know. If I had to vote, I'd probably vote Vasilevsky, but I think an argument could be made for Darcy Kemper. I think an argument, uh, I, I can't disagree. He has the same save. You you already, you made a very good case. Two more games played, same save percentage. You mentioned who had the easier or more difficult workload. Well, I'll, I will tell you that uh, Kemper and Vasilevsky were the second or the third and second most well-protected goalie uh, at five on five this year in the league. So, both their defenses did phenomenal jobs in front of them, protecting them. Elon, you, you, I'll give you a guess. You have a one in 29 shot. Can you name the goalie who was best protected by their team this year, who played at least a thousand minutes? John Gibson. No, I'm just kidding. Definitely not. <laughs> yeah. Definitely not the Anaheim. The worst. Devin Dubnik. Okay. I was going to actually take a guess, but it wouldn't have been Dubnik. So I'm glad that you just went and told us the answer there. Well, that's too bad because he definitely is not in Vesna consideration. You've yeah. got a lot of really interesting, like I, Elon. Did you did you mention Bishop and Laner? I said that they both had the best save percentages, but yeah. maybe they could be disqualified for not playing enough games. I'm sure one of them, like maybe Lehner or Bishop. Like the thing is, yeah, just the, with the injuries, like I don't know what the cutoff is for these things and how many games you need to play to be considered a Vesna candidate. Yeah, if you're if you're gonna go, which which Vesna voters don't, but if you're going for. Uh, success above expected save percentage at five on five at least that's one of the metrics i would put a lot of weight in if i was a vesna voter uh, jordan binnington yaroslav halak ben bishop your top three john gibson's in the top five then laner morazic jack campbell what a year for goaltending yeah it, it, it was, was crazy. crazy jack campbell's one of the people in the top seven over the past couple of weeks. He was a yeah. couple MVP. Uh, we've got Leonard. So I already mentioned Bobrovsky and Kemper. Then there was Leonard. Then the, the final group is Jack Campbell, Alex Georgiev, Philip Grubauer, and then Braden Holpe at the end. So Holpe's not so surprising, but would anyone have guessed that Campbell, Georgiev, and Grubauer would end up being fantasy playoff MVPs a few months ago? Like, no way. At this point, Grubauer is obviously the best bet of the three. If we're looking at the next season, so now I'm looking at Campbell, Georgiev, Grubauer. If we're looking to next season, what do we do with these guys? Do we consider them worth drafting next year? I think Grubauer is the obvious bet. Uh, Varlamov is going to be a free agent. I don't see a reason why the Avalanche are going to re-sign him based on how things ended. Maybe Pavel Fransuz will earn a spot on the team next year and be the backup. 
which makes me well, then ask almost like, well, maybe, or you could let me know if you disagree, but like how, how I'd be curious to know, like at this point, where would you be ranking Grubauer and Schmorgolisborg next season? He ended the season so strong, but he was cold for a while, but he was great all those years in Washington. If he comes in as the for sure number one goalie on Colorado, which I think he's going to be, that's got to be a pretty valuable goalie in fantasy, right? He could play a lot of games. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And let's let's wait to see. You said, like, based on how things ended, we don't know. We we doubt Varlamov will be coming back. And I I agree, but we still have a playoff series against Calgary to go where uh, we might see uh, some things happen that influence how Colorado approaches their goaltending next year. Uh, I don't think Pavel Frenzuz is much of a threat to Philip Grubauer. Uh, then again, I didn't expect Philip Grubauer to be so awful for the first like two thirds of the season, but I'm hoping he can have a good series, establish himself as someone Colorado can rely on. And then next year, it just like, we can all know Philip Grubauer is a starting goalie in Colorado instead of having yet another fuzzy, uh, fuzzy goaltending situation to start the year. Yeah. I was not uh, trying to say that. I think Francis can be competition for Grubauer. I was saying Francis is competition for Varlamov in that Colorado doesn't need to sign Varlamov or another goalie. They could just have Francis be their backup. That's what I was saying about Francis. Noted. I okay. mean, I, I don't think it would behoove Colorado financially to, to pay both Grubauer and Varlamov money. Yeah. And group and Varlamov is it's, he's a tough goalie. Like I don't know how, I mean, I guess if Koskinen could get $5 million, you'd assume Varlamov should maybe be able to get the same, but maybe other GMs aren't going to be as willing to open up their wallets to a goalie who kind of struggled this year and has had all this injury history. I feel like Varlamov would be a really tough signing to make at this time for more than like a year. Like I could see him getting big money for like a single season for a team wanting to take a chance, but I doubt he's going to get term, but it'll, we'll see. Like that's actually a really fun part of the season. July 1st is one of our hottest podcasts, at least the one that I'm most excited for where we break down all the signings. Uh, but then, yeah, Jack Campbell, Alex Georgiev, both really interesting to me. Both of them did better than their respective starters in terms of save percentage over on the season. But at the same time, it's hard to imagine Lundqvist and Quick becoming backups next year. So if you if we had to do Schmore Goaliesborg right now and start tearing these goalies, what are your early thoughts on how you'll be valuing these LA and New York tandems going into drafts next year? Oh, oh. Man, I don't know. I mean, well, LA we know has a coaching change happening. And I think depending on who they hire, or maybe not depending on who they hire, but when they hire their new coach, we'll get a signal of what exactly their plan is in the short term, whether they're going to go into a full on rebuild or try and rebuild on the fly if, if such a thing can actually happen. Or if they're going to bring in someone who thinks that, yeah, they're actually going to compete the whole way through in New York. The plan is pretty clear. They're not going to be a great team for a couple of years. They're going to 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 wait and buy their time to to draft some good guys and let their prospects develop. Um, and like Henrik Lundqvist is in a very weird space. Elon, you don't agree? I'm just shaking like, your head and laughing. Yeah, I am shaking my head and laughing because they're the New York Rangers. And I'll bet you if Jade from Average Time on Ice was listening, she would say, they're about to sign Carlson and Panarin. And <laughs> everything you're saying is not going to age well. Like the Rangers have money. And I don't think they're so far off. From Panarin being... and Bobrovsky are joining Quenville in Florida is the latest, uh, you know, hot hot rumor going around so oh, let's let's wait and see about sure. that before we say that either one is going to land with the rangers who are definitely rebuilding okay but let me just say brian okay i'm just gonna say sentences and you tell me if you think this is true or not true okay yeah sentence number one if the rangers got like a top end player like artemi panarin would that be enough to make them a playoff contender i'm not saying like a guaranteed playoff team but could that make them a contender um is it possible 
It's possible. Okay. Like they, they finished 20 points out of a playoff spot this year. So I don't, I don't think that our Temi Panarin is worth 20 standings points. Mm, well, I don't know. Okay. Uh, no, question number two. Are the New York Rangers a popular place for free agents to sign according to previous history of free agent signings? Uh, I mean, there was a time where like definitely when the salary cap wasn't in place, like I want to say yes, but I also don't like, I'm trying to think of the late the last high profile free agent the Rangers signed. Yeah. Yeah. Like it is Shattenkirk. And like, can you think of another name on the team who was brought in? Like, like as a marquee player, Brian Boyle. Uh, Was he? No, no Dan, he was Dan Boyle. <laughs> yeah, and then he was ridden out of town by the press. He, he was not liked there. And so, I'm just saying, anyways, I agree with you. Probably the Rangers are not going to contend next year, but I just say don't say it 100% because I could see them just getting antsy and being like, you know what, F this rebuild. Uh, let's sign some players at free agency. Like, I think they have the cap space, right? Um, Probably. Well, anyway, okay. <laughs> You're saying about Georgiev, assuming that the Rangers are not going to sign great free agents, that he's going to be a goalie competing for starts. Uh, on a rebuilding team same with jack campbell so where are you landing on these guys sorry for the the side where i'm landing with these guys is i will be happy to stream them as i will be about 75 percent of all the goalies next year i think like everything is going to change next year with the way people treat goalies and that and that'll be the year where like suddenly 25 clear-cut starters emerge with very consistent records yeah well I would say my lesson, and again, I agree with you that probably things will change for next year, but if anything, my lesson is like, maybe it's better, and I've always been against in the past grabbing tandems in drafts, like, like why use two spots when you could just have two potential starters, but now I'm thinking when it's so hard to get a for sure starter, like people who drafted Leonard and Grice late in drafts this year just like killed it. They were so lucky. And some people got really lucky and got like, let's say Varlamov and Grubauer. And then they were able to drop Varlamov before the fantasy playoffs and just ride Grubauer. So, you know, I wonder if maybe the strategy next year will be like, wait, don't draft goalies high. Cause you have no idea how it's going to turn out. So use your high picks on forwards and defensemen. And then like late in the draft, grab quick and Jack Campbell, and then they could fight it out and hope that LA could do something. And maybe you could turn out with two decent goalies or maybe even one starting goalie. And it could work out for you. So I don't know, that might be something but, to consider. But LA is much further away from being a good team than the Islanders are. I mean, a lot of people were, we'll have to go, I want to go back and listen to the Almanac. Yeah, where, where, I, where I famously talked about the Islanders tax. Yeah, you were really down on the Islanders after their free agent signings. I was not the- optimistic. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. Like, you never know, right? Like, that's the thing with goalies. You never know who's going to have a good season. So I feel like there might be some strategy to just grab a tandem late you get all the starts from that team and hope that team will be good. And if not, you'll just find a Binnington in free agency and win that way. You got to find a way to win. That would be another one of my tips for succeeding in the fantasy playoffs. If we ever get to that segment is you've got to be quick to grab these goalies. Maybe that's even before the playoffs, but like, don't worry about the draft so much as far as goalies, just be the first one to grab the Binnington to grab the Grubauer when they start playing well. And if it doesn't work out, whatever you could drop him, but there's a chance they could end up being the guys who lead you to that Darcy Kemper. I grabbed him out of free agency in a couple of leagues, and we all know how that turned out. Uh, Brian, so how about a few LVPs in the last couple of weeks to round out our player discussions before we go to our playoff preview box pool filling? Uh, we got a lot to get to. I'm so excited. Uh, so, yeah, players who stunk that I want to get your thoughts on. So we already talked about Ben and Wierenski. I'll throw a couple other high percentage owned players who put up less than 20 cupful points in the last couple of weeks. You actually already brought this guy up, Patrick Laine. End of the season going pointless in his last seven games. Only one shot 
in each of his last three games, which is like at least when Line wasn't getting points, like this is getting shots, it's just having bad luck. But here he was doing nothing. And I like remember, or like I just feel like he's the type of guy, like when you're talking about playoff pool strategy or playoff strategies, like you have to make that tough drop. I feel like the smart owners drop Patrick Line as tough as it is. He like was so slow for so long and he did nothing in the last couple of weeks. Probably a guy that you, that people who won their leagues dropped him if they had him leading into the playoffs. Uh, Brian, like, in your opinion, how much has Line stock dropped for you in your book for next year? Like we pegged him for 80 points in the Almanac, one of our biggest misses, and he ended up with only 50, 50 points. And even that 50 points almost seems like unreasonable, like based on what we've seen from him the last couple of months. Like that's buoyed from a good couple of weeks almost completely, you know, a decent start to the season, but he's been so quiet since. So where are you pegging Patrick Line moving forward? Ah, oh, man, I don't know. Like this is just, th- this guy, this guy's season made our heads spin, right? We were so high on him and talked him up so much, it, or at least I did, uh, in all our preseason stuff, in our almanac. And I just, I don't, I don't even know what to say about him. Like I'm trying to assess what went wrong with him. Um, and like, I don't have a lot of detail aside from saying that Liney simply was just not as dangerous at five on five, both in quality and quantity. Um, you see some variants dragged him too, like his shooting percentage dropped 5%. Um, but that shouldn't have been enough to destroy his season uh, as badly as it was, we were hope- I was hoping for 50 goals from him. He ended the season with 30 goals, 20 assists for, as you said, 50 points. Um, we anticipated a big rise in deployment for Liney. That didn't happen. Uh, he only saw 12 more seconds per game at five on five. This is not what we hoped for. So even if he did get the extra time, um, I'm still not even convinced he would have made the most of it. He had a bad year. He didn't have a lot of, like, you look at his goals for per 60 minutes while he's on the ice, not his personal, but his, his whole lines goals per 60 minutes. And it was down pretty significantly from the last couple of years. And it's hard at this point to tease that apart, uh, to tease apart how much of that is his fault and how much of that belongs to, uh, you know, the roles of his line mates. So that'll be some more off season questioning that we'll have to dig into. Um, but for now, all I can say is it was just uh it was a rotten year. It shows in his numbers. He was not just simply unlucky. He was also not good. So it's kind of back to the drawing board for him. Who are you drafting higher next year? Jamie, Ben, or Patrick Liney? Patrick Liney. Okay. I yeah. still believe. I really do. Like, I will probably end up with him in too many leagues next year because I think a lot of people are going to be really shy about him. And I'm not cooled off so significantly. Yeah, that's right. I mean, Jamie he- Ben's probably the safer bet. Yeah, well, even though he was, it wasn't so great at the end either. Yeah, it's it's tough. Like fifty, what is it? Fifty three points for Ben at the end of the season compared to fifty for Liney. So very similar. Yeah, Liney is going to be tough, but there's so much upside. It's just so hard not to take him just for that chance that he looked like he could be a potential fifty point guy, and I think he still can be. But he's clearly got some things to work on, and it'll be fun to read articles throughout the offseason of what he's doing. Patrick Line says he's in the best shape. He's a whole new training regimen. He's totally rewired his brain. Remember that article that you love, Brian, about goalies rewiring their brains? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think it was, who was it? Uh, Reimer that rewired his brain? And it was some funny goalie that turned uh, out. No, it was Hellebuck. Ah, okay. Oh, I, guess, I guess the wiring broke this season. <laughs> Yeah, well, we'll see how he does in the playoffs. Uh, Elias Call Lindgren. the brain electrician. 
Elias Lindholm just one assist in his final nine games. We've already talked about it a few times recently. Uh, if you just want, let's just give a quick projection for Lindholm for next season. He ended the season with 78 points, but such a down note to end on where he totally cooled off. Uh, if you were drafting him next year, would it be as a 78 point guy? I'm assuming no. Um, I don't know. Why not? Oh, okay. So there you go. Why not? So we'll talk about it more. I, it's tough to say just because he ended slowly, but you're right. Like, good. If you still have faith in Kajoa Monahan, you still think Lindholm. Which I do. Down, and you and like we haven't seen Lindholm drop from the top line. Let's see what happens in the playoffs. Of course, uh, yeah, maybe Lindholm will be a guy that maybe will fall a little bit in drafts, and you could get him as maybe not as much as of a steal as you got him this year, but maybe you could get him a couple rounds later next year if people are worried about how he ended the year. Uh, I hate to do it. Got to mention Elias Pettersson ended the season pretty cold. Only one goal, which was yesterday versus St. Louis, and one assist in his final seven games. He's still, even with that cold finish, he ends the season with an amazing 66 points in 71 games as a rookie. He's going to win the Calder, but he clearly lost some steam at the end. And I actually saw a recent Roto World article saying he plans to work on his conditioning for next season. That's something we've talked about, Brian, like rookies maybe aren't prepared for how many games happen in an NHL season. So I know the answer to this, but do you have any concerns with Pedersen's slow finish to the year? Or do you see him as a guy who's just going to get better, be a lock for a point per game next season as a 21-year-old? I'm bought in on Pedersen, which isn't what you thought I was saying. Was it on the Patreon cast, Elon? Or was it last week? Well, you said something on the Patreon cast when you, we were talking about Keeper League strategies. And you said, right. like, I wouldn't take Pedersen yet. I'd rather take a sure thing guy. And I was like, I'd actually see Pedersen as like a sure thing guy. Right. But, uh, it it depends. like a keep two situation, though, just to be clear. In most Keeper situations, I would absolutely keep Elias Pedersen. I think his best is yet to come. And I think it's fair to expect him to, to at least crack 70. And point per game is within reach. If this is what he could do um, in his first year in the season, uh with going cold at the end, needing some conditioning help, probably going to come back bigger. Who is the player, Elon? Do you remember now who was like carrying around an extra six pounds in training camp and like trying to adjust to like how to play heavy? No, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't think I've heard that. Is that there was a guy. Yeah. Uh, oh, it was Brock Besser. That's why I'm making this connection. Oh. Well, and remember he started slow. I don't remember that, actually, uh, at all. And the, the concern was that he put on weight in the offseason, like he didn't know how to use it. And so, like, he had an awful preseason, uh, and, like, he didn't look good in camp. And if I'm I'm just bringing up his game logs now to see, like, how he started the season, he ended really well. He had 56 points in 69 games. Yeah, he was off to a – he was off and running pretty quickly. Like, you could – call it slow for someone like Besser who started uh, like maybe you expected huge things out of and then he had uh, only seven points in his first 12 games and I think that had people wondering uh, in this narrative building Uh, but yeah then he got on his horse so Pedersen if he puts on weight and doesn't know what to do with it just give him 12 games and he'll be fine okay there's the advice yeah maybe he could stand to put on a a pound or two he's a small guy Uh, Brian remember this guy Ryan Suter that was like a really great fantasy player as recently as a couple months ago. He ended the season with 47 points, but but in his last eight games, only one assist. He totally disappeared, kind of like Zach Wierenski, I guess. Couldn't even get more than a shot off or block more than one shot in any of his final six games. So not only did he stop getting points, but he just became totally useless to you in any format for the fantasy playoffs. He's a guy that I wonder if people decided to finally drop what a bummer, eh? Is is his slowdown a big reason, by the way, for the Wild having such a rough end to the season and missing the playoffs? Maybe they were leaning on Ryan Suter, and if he wasn't able to take them there, they weren't going to get there. Next year, Dumba's going to be healthy. I think that he's going to 
for sure take over as the top, at least fantasy defenseman to own in Minnesota, the main offensive guy. Will this be the Ryan Suter's final 45 plus point season? Um, It's possible. Like, especially with Dumba coming back full time. Although Ryan Suter, when we talked about him at the start of the season and how well he was playing, we were actually, or I was surprised to be like, I think he can keep this up. And to be fair, he did for a large part of the season. When he did finally disappear, his whole team disappeared. Elon, the, the Minnesota Wild were shut out four times in their last six games. That's brutal. And the, and the four games before that, they combined for six goals. Like, you have to go back to, like, March 7th, game 68, to find their, their like, a reasonably healthy run of goal scoring. Uh, after that, it was all garbage so i'm i'm not putting that at the feet of ryan Suter that the wild only scored 22 goals over the last 14 contests uh that's on the feet and skates of everybody including front office who made some very questionable choices towards the end of the season that undoubtedly shook things up like shook up player roles and knowledge and systems and whatever um that we were reading about towards the end of the season so no i'm not going to hang this on ryan Suter, but i will say uh he is older and it wouldn't be a shocker to see him not hit 45 points again, but he was sustainably like on a 50 point pace for a good chunk of this season. So I, I'd hope he has at least one more in him, but it'll be a challenge to do it at age 35. Right. So you'll be able to draft him late. Probably. I think even for a guy who got 47 points, I think a lot of people are going to be concerned about him being 35 and ending the season cold. So he's a guy, I guess I would draft kind of late but it would have to be pretty late especially with this lack of peripherals at the end and brian i d- definitely didn't mean to blame ryan Suter for them not making the playoffs i just meant to say like it, it wasn't just like going hand in hand like they needed him to be at like his best to get them there because otherwise they were going to completely fall apart like you said of course it also didn't help that uh miko koivu got injured and missed the end of the season you mentioned the front office trading away nino niederreiter maybe didn't work out too well for them kevin fiala did he i completely forgot actually for a second that he was there like what if you like did he do anything i don't think so uh so yeah we'll see what happens next year i'm very proud of us in our joint league we dropped jason zucker when the time was right and in the couple i dropped crazy and eric stall when the time was right and you know these tough drops but you got to make them if the team's not doing anything and you're going on a playoff run uh one more defenseman brian to end our stretch of couple lvps uh shane goss let's just talk about him we've done it all season long so have a one more time before we talk about him another three times over the summer or maybe we should just stop maybe it's time to just forget about this guy he had only one goal in his final six games so for anyone who held on hoping he would bounce back he did for a little bit but didn't ha- he didn't happen at the end he didn't help you when you needed him most only ends the season with 37 points after he hit 65 points in the same number of games last season so almost half the number of points just a terrible drop for goss do you think he'll get another shot at Q being the top power play next season? Maybe Sanheim or Provorov gets a shot? Or, like, even if Gosses Behar does get to stay on the top power play, could we, like, even still, like, this year he was there and he only got 37 points. So what do we think he can do next season? Like, I kind of feel like for sure you're going to be able to get him a lot later in drafts next year. I have a feeling he's the type of guy, Brian, that you're going to end up drafting in a lot of these because you loved Goss's Bear so much when we did the Almanac over the summer. I remember you were, like, looking at all the Philly numbers, and you really, like, broke it down and said, I think this team overperformed. I think they're going to get a lot fewer goals next year. But you were like, except for Goss's Bear. I think he'll be <laughs> fine. He'll still get his same number of points. But Giroux and Couturier, they're for sure going to fall. In the end, like, Giroux and Couturier actually were just fine. But Goss's Bear definitely took that big hit. Well, to be fair, I thought Couturier would hold more steady. I thought Giroux was going to be the one who uh, could not repeat the 
incredible, heartworthy 102-point season he had two years ago. And I mean, like, can I say I was right that he had only 85 points? But it's cold comfort to all my Shane Gossis bear takes that uh, did not come true. And all the patience I encourage people to have for him. Uh, look, I, I don't have any real answers as to what went wrong for Shane Gosses bear. Not yet. Anyway, it's something that I hope to look into in the off season. I'm also hoping um, that like Philadelphia is a, a allegedly one of these teams interested in, in Joel Quenville and the fact that they are at least signals that uh, they're looking for a new coach. And I think a new coach could be something that benefits Shane Gosses bear. He also had rotten, like he had rotten variants on the power play. Um, at five on five, he was not so uh, maligned, but like somewhat. If I want to look at those numbers and say he deserved better, I, I could. I could justify that. So um, look, I, I know I'm still probably going to be a little too high on Gosses Bear going into next season, but I hope I'll control myself at the draft table. I still think that he has 60 point upside. It's just a matter of uh, will he, like, like we'll find out, right? I feel like every year, we think we know who Gosses Bear is, and then he throws a wrench into things. It's like, oh, he's not going to be that good. Oh, and then he is, and he's, he's, he's still going to be this good, and then he's not. Um, so that pattern continues uh, for him being a mystery. I still have faith, though. I, I, I'm betting on his upside still. Yeah, I guess I'm going to not, I think. Because, uh, the main reason is I feel like generally these defensemen who play less than 20 minutes a game, I find it hard to expect them to get you so, so many points. Like Gosses Bear is the type of defenseman who Philly like doesn't play on their top unit. Like, you know, he gets on the top power play, but he doesn't play the big minutes like, you know, your Brent Burns and your Seth Jones. And I don't know, I could probably throw out a whole bunch of names there. So uh, John Carlson, like, I don't know. So I just feel like he really needs to contribute on the power play in a big way to be super fantasy relevant. And I think he has some competition for next year with how this season went. So I'll let you draft him. I'm not saying I'll leave him as a free agent. I'll be happy to get him in the last round or the second last round if he's available, but I'm not using a high pick on him. I'm not saying that you said that you will. You're going to have next year Shane Goss's pair and Patrick Laine in the late as your late picks in a lot of leagues. And who knows, maybe you'll, that'll lead you back to a cup full tier one glory. We'll have to I win. sure hope so, assuming that I'm participating in tier one. Okay, well, or, well, you'll get back to tier one after a win in tier two. So, well, but let- I, I just, just for the record, I did win the consolation finals, which means I was the only non-playoff team to hold my spot in tier one. I had a great, great consolation playoffs, but that's a little consolation. No, that's great. No, it really is impressive. Like you had, to be fair, I love to make fun because Brian very rarely loses these things. Uh, it was a shock to me. I just assumed he was going to win or at least get into the playoffs of his league, uh, but he didn't. And he had some bad luck for sure. Like you had a lot of fantasy points and your opponents happened to also get a lot of fantasy points. Uh, we discussed actually on our patron cast on Tuesday, some ideas you've come up with. I'm sure it's related <laughs> ideas of how you could maybe come up with a fantasy format where you play defense and like get the option of sitting players and the other people's teams that would be really fun if uh someone from yahoo or espn or fantrax wants to give us a call um we could share our ideas we uh we got some ideas of how to come up with some fun fantasy formats but one classic fantasy format that's been around for ages is the box pool right you get your boxes with like five six players in each box and you pick one player from each box and then in the end you add up everyone's picks so multiple players in the league can have the same players there could be some duplication but it's very unlikely that two people will have the exact same like 20 picks so then you go and calculate who gets the win and we've been doing this with our patrons 
for the playoffs every single season. It's always a lot of fun. And we're going to be doing it again this year. So if you're a patron of Keeping Carlson for $1 or more, or, or like any amount, basically, you'll have access to join our Cacupful. No, not Cacupful. Our Keeping Carlson patron playoff pool. And there will be a prize for first place. We haven't decided what it is yet. Usually I mail some random hockey item from my apartment. So I'll look for that. Sometimes we've sent it to second place and done something better for first place. But there's a prize for you. Oh, I also want to throw it out there. The people who won the, their couple divisions, you're getting a prize. So that's going to be coming to basically Brian and I had to figure out <laughs> finish this season. And then now it's prize time where we're going to figure things out to make things even more crazy. We're going to throw a wrench into this box pool. What we're going to do is... Uh, so all the people who won the cupful, we want to do a special playoff pool with you guys. But there's 16 of you. Well, actually, 15 of you and one of me. And so there's 16 <laughs> of us. And so that's a lot of people to do a live draft on a show. So what we're going to do is everyone who uh, won, play in the box pool, just like all the other patrons. And then we're going to rank us all, of all 16 of us, for who did the best in round one of the box pool. And then the top eight will move forward and we'll do an entirely new draft for the second round and we'll compete in that. And then we'll do an entirely new draft for the final two rounds, maybe with only four remaining teams. So I'll give you guys all the details. This is actually Ben Burnett's idea from Average Time on Ice, sort of like a survivor fantasy pool where players get eliminated as the season goes on. So I think this will be a lot of fun in the playoffs. So yeah, definitely if you won your cupful division, make sure to play in our box pool. And speaking of the box pool, Brian, I thought it would be fun for you and I to fill out our boxes live on the show. And as we do it, we can sort of give our thoughts on the playoffs. So what do you think? Uh, A new crazy idea on (laughs) keeping Carlson. Let's do it. Let's aim. There's a lot of boxes here. So, I mean, we're not going to... You've stuck with us this long if you're listening. We're going to try and keep it snappy. Um, Elon, can I just ask one general playoff pool philosophy question before we get started? Please. So uh, what's your feeling on trying to pick players from series that you think are going to go longer? Like, say, you know, there's a player who you think is going to make it two rounds, but is on a team that's only going to play like, you know, might sweep their way through those two rounds versus a player who you feel is going to get into like a seven game dogfight in the first round. Or or like, I guess you'd still prefer the eight, (laughs) the eight game player in that scenario. But still, sometimes people try and like predict games played counts as part of their choices do you do you take that into effect are you just looking for the guy on the team that's most likely to win yeah i I definitely in a pool like this like what we're doing with the patrons like for the special couple winners pool where we're gonna redraft every single round then maybe that would come into mind if there was a team that i was so sure would sweep but i'm not sure if i have a team at the top of my head that i think is the most guaranteed to sweep maybe the boston bruins sorry but like uh okay what if you have like uh, a top end, like a 100-point a player who you think is going to sweep his way through the first round and an 80-point player who you're predicting is going to like have to play six or seven games. But it's just the first round. I'm going to yeah. take the player that I think is going to go far. Yeah. I also always get this wrong. I'm terrible at this. <laughs> last year, I came in last place in the draft we did with a couple winners. I took players from the LA Kings who got swept by Vegas <laughs> in the first round. So don't listen to anything I say. As we predict the playoffs, I always get it wrong. Uh, but with that, Brian, uh, well, what's your answer, by the way? Do you care about game? How many games played? Do you think the first? Like, who, no. who do you think? Who does anyone think they are that they're going to project how many games played a playoff series is going to go? Like, it's hard enough just to project the winner. 
Yeah, I think some. I think sometimes when you're not sure between two players, you try and take it to that granular level. Um, like, like you know, it might even be more of a question of do you want uh, like a sixty point player on a team that's going to go two rounds versus a ninety point player uh, on a heavy underdog that you think might be able to still push it to five six. Like it's a it's a it's a hard. I try not to overthink it though. I find the more I think about a playoff pool, the worse I do. Yeah, I think the more interesting question is along the lines of do you take only like players from two teams and just go deep on a couple teams? Do you spread it around to four teams? Do you take like high point players from teams that you don't expect to go far just because you think they'll get a lot of points in the games they do play? Like a Nathan McKinnon type who maybe we aren't projecting Colorado to get out of the first round, but I could see him getting, you know, like seven points in six games or however many games that series goes. So that that's an interesting question. Do you want to speak to that quickly or how about we just speak to that as we fill out our boxes here so we could get this ball rolling and we'd love for people in the chat room let us know what you think about who we should be picking in each of these boxes we're doing a very straightforward only forwards and defensemen one point for a goal one point for an assist nothing fancy okay so first box eastern conference forwards round one so you could get choose one player between aho crosby kucherov marchand marner and ovechkin so one interesting thing about this pool that i'm noticing that uh, we've set up on office pools is they're not having two players from the same team in the same box so i've seen like kucherov and stamkos being taken one two in a lot of playoff pools theoretically brian we could take kucherov stamkos Braden point in the first three boxes if we think Tampa's going to go far. So maybe we could almost like talk it through in terms of the first three boxes because you could also take Bergeron, Marchand, and Pasternak, or you can take, uh, you know, Gensel, Crosby, and Kessel. So are you going to go three players all from the same team for these first three boxes? Or are you going to split it up? And this is another matter of philosophy, right? Do you try and load up on one team and I or do you try and spread yourself out to to allow yourself to compete in a lot of different scenarios, like regardless of if like who advances past the first round, you hedge your bets. I find that most playoff pool winners win by loading up. So I am going to go uh, Kucherov and Stamkos in point. I'm loading up on all three lightning. Yeah, I agree with the strategy. How about this for a strategy, though? I think a lot of people are going to take those three teams. So if I go the same way, then that means even if I get those three boxes right, I still have a low chance to win the pool because I'm going to have to get so many other boxes then better than you as we go through versus if I want to take the contrarian view and pick another team. And if Tampa doesn't make it that far, all of a sudden now I'm competing against so many fewer people who are still in contention. So you know, by the way, we have to Wednesday to change our mind, but I think I'm just for fun. I'm going to go Boston players. I'm going to go Marchand, Bergeron, Pasternak, and I'm going to have them upsetting Tampa in round two. So it probably won't happen. But Interesting. Uh, if, I, if I was not going uh, Tampa, I would be going Pittsburgh. I'd be going Crosby, Kessel, and Gensel. I just feel like that Washington-Pittsburgh matchup in round two, if it happens, is it's like... It's not going to. Because you think Carolina is going to beat Washington? I think Carolina is going to beat Washington. I feel like Carolina-Washington is 50-50. Well, no, not 50-50. But I, I definitely agree that Carolina has a good chance. I really like the Hurricanes. Like, Morazic has been good. They have, they have uh, Hamilton, who's hot right now. They've got these two good lines that are hot right now. But I'd still bet on the Caps winning that series. But I do think Carolina is one of those teams that could upset. I think my favorite upset... Is that your, like, upset pick of the first round? Or do you have another upset that you're projecting? Uh, my other upset, I guess the the other biggest one that I'd be calling is St. Louis over Winnipeg. Well, they both ended the season with the same number of points. So I don't think that's like, they were like <laughs> one point difference. I but. still think St. Louis is considered the underdog, although I did see odds today. 
and I saw like it's very early, but I saw St. Louis was like minus 100 or whatever, and yeah. the Jets were even. Does that mean that according to the odds, it's basically even? The Blues are favored. Oh no, it's even. Okay. Like I mean, they usually have like a little like minus 110 and even, just so that the house wins money no matter what if both of them are bet evenly. But yeah, that's that doesn't count Brian as an upset pick by taking this basically okay. pick 'em series. Uh, I would say my other upset that I could see happening is I could see Colorado beating Calgary. And I guess the, a couple of reasons for that are, one, the Calgary goaltending yeah. is shaky versus Grubauer, who's super hot right now. And two, I mean, like, at the end of the day, like, Calgary, yeah, has, like, two good lines. Really, like, maybe, like, uh, so uh, they both have amazing top lines, right? Colorado's supposed to be fully healthy. They're going to have Rantanen, hopefully, back, and then Landis Gog and McKinnon are back. Well, McKinnon wasn't gone in the first place. Uh, Calgary has Goudreau, uh, Monaghan, and Elias Lindholm. And then the second line, so yeah, Calgary has Backland and Kachuk and some third piece, and Colorado maybe doesn't have as much firepower, but I don't think they're that different in terms of depth. Like, I think they're both of them have pretty similar bottom six, I guess. I don't know. Like, probably we could dig into it. And, and I mean, you need to look at the defense, like Tyson Barry and Giordano. Like, I don't know. Like, I just feel like, again, Calgary's the favorite for a reason. Like, Calgary had an amazing season, but just because of the goaltending and then also some slight uh, comparisons in depth, I could see Colorado winning that series. Goaltending is a big question mark. Uh, I would say defense is where Calgary really has the edge. I think in depth also, like you're saying it's Backland and Kachuk and then another guy. Like I think Michael Froelich is more than another guy. Um, yeah. So okay. I don't think, I don't think Colorado really has, anyway, it, it's not, it, we don't have to go too deep into this, but I also don't think Colorado has the defensive depth. If I were to pick, okay, would this count as an upset Elon Toronto over Boston? I think so. I think a lot of people okay. are picking Boston to win that. Season. So I so then uh, Carolina and Toronto are my two upset picks in the first round. If St. Louis doesn't count, okay. So you've got me losing this pool because I've I've gone three Boston guys <laughs> in my top three boxes. Yeah. I also just feel like Bar- Bergeron, Marchand, and Pasternak just get so many points. Like, even if they only play two rounds, that could still get me like pretty far if I can now pick good players in the next box. So let's look at the next few. We've got uh, one box. It's kind of hard to do this on a podcast because we got so many names. Okay, so box four has or box one two and three had a bunch of other players that you could go see if you're a patron right and if you're not a patron uh you could probably imagine who the top three players are in a bunch or just of be one a dollar a month yeah actually just throw us a buck we'd love to have you there uh basically free and you not only will get access to this pool but also in the, the facebook group we're gonna have a lot of fun over the summer uh, i don't want to make this a commercial though but keep them crossing the okay. patron okay box four uh so you got barzal duchene gourd krejci malkin and tj oshi so it's kind of like you could either take like a star player on a underdog team, like a Duchesne or a Barzal, you could go with like a Yanni Gourd, whose team is projected to go the farthest, but he's Yanni Gourd. Or you can go, uh, Malkin actually stands out pretty well, but why am I giving you uh, my thoughts? Why don't you tell me your thoughts? I'm, I'm going to go Malkin. I think Pittsburgh has the second best chance of coming out of the East after Tampa. I can never count them out. So uh, I have them getting in the conference final, finals, which is enough games for Malkin to outpoint Gord, even if Gord uh, goes all the way to the Stanley Cup. Yeah, I can't disagree with you there. Uh, Josh Bailey, for sure. No. So I'm looking at the next box now. Bailey, Dubois, Tyler Johnson, Kadri, Verana, and Justin Williams. This is a tougher one. I, I'm I'm between Tyler Johnson and Justin Williams, right? Four rounds. I like you, right? You you make your bracket first when you're doing these things, and and you just have to buy into it. So I'm going four four rounds of Tyler Johnson versus two, maybe three. 
of Justin Williams. I could see Carolina maybe sneaking past Pittsburgh. I, uh, I'm i going to go with Justin Williams. Actually, yeah, me too. Because also Justin Williams always gets so many points in the playoffs. Mr. Playoffs. Like, uh, and Verona has it. Like, I could see Washington going far and Verona still not getting that many yeah. points. Uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois could be good, but I don't. it'll be tough for Columbus to get past Tampa Bay. I'm for that series, though. Like, I'm excited to watch it. I'll bet you there'll be some exciting games. Uh, okay, next box. Atkinson, Brett Connolly, Kapanen, Miller, JT Miller, Brock Nelson, and Nino Niederreiter. Uh, for me, it's again between the Carolina star and the Tampa Bay depth player and JT Miller versus Nino Niederreiter. Why am I leaning towards JT Miller here, though? Because he was hot a, a couple times towards the end of the season? Maybe. Like, does it make any sense for me to have picked Williams over Johnson, but Miller over Niederreiter? Well, maybe you're trying to spread your depth out a bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm going to stick... Uh, you know what? I'm going to go... Uh, I don't know. Who are you going to go? Uh, it's so hard. Because now I've gone three <laughs> Bostons, and now I have a Pittsburgh and a Carolina. So I feel like I can't do a fourth team. I, uh, so I don't, I guess I'm not going Brett Connolly. Uh, maybe I'll just, but I will go a fourth team. I'm just going to go JT Miller. I don't know what I'm doing right now. <laughs> okay. I'm, and I'm going need a rider and we both reserve the right to change our picks. Yeah. I guess I just feel like, uh, even if Tampa Bay loses to Boston in round two, JT Miller could still get more points than these other guys. Cause all these other guys could also go out in the second round. Like there, there isn't a Boston or a Pittsburgh guy in this list. Okay. Next we've got Jake DeBrusque. Right. So have we discussed all the series now? We've kind of mentioned Boston and Toronto. Uh, Islanders and Pittsburgh, you're saying Pittsburgh. Carolina, Washington, I guess. You, yeah, so I guess we've discussed them all in the East. Uh, so DeBrusque, Ryan Dezingle, Andreas Janssen, Alex Killorn, Anders Lee, and Tom Wilson. Jake DeBrusque. Oh, so but you have Tampa Bay. Oh, but there are no Tampa Bay players. Why not Alex Killorn? Yeah, so I think I'd rather DeBrusque getting to the semis or getting to the quarters just the way he's been going. I'll take two rounds of DeBrusque over four of Killorn. Did I make a mistake by not taking David Krejci over uh, Getty Malkin in that I, other box? I don't know. It depends on if you think Pittsburgh or like I think I might have made a mistake because I have Malkin and then two Hurricanes. <laughs> well, so I, have- I, I might like who I don't want teams that are. Like, I don't want to really stack guys against each other who are playing in the quarters. Yeah, well, right now I've got Marshan, Bergeron, Pasternak, and DeBrusque. And then I feel like Krejci would fit in well there. Uh, but Malkin's Malkin. It's almost like you have to decide now whether you want to go all in on Boston or you want to just hedge a little. Yeah, it was kind of unfair of them to not give me some Pittsburgh options in the next two to even it out. I could go on defense. Uh, I'll keep it how it is for now. So defense now we've got in the East. Uh, the first box, Carlson, Hedman, Seth Jones, Tory Crew, Chris Letang, Morgan Riley. So I assume you're going Victor Hedman here? Yeah, he has a little plus sign, a little red cross next to his name, but he's he's likely, right, to, yeah. to play? Yeah, the coach said that he could play in the first game probably back be back so we don't know 100 percent. he hasn't confirmed if it's concussion or not but he'll probably be back you'd think yeah so i'm going headman i guess for me then it has to be between tory krug and chris letang uh so maybe i'll uh balance out this pittsburgh thing a little bit can boston play pittsburgh yeah because boston pittsburgh would go all the way to the conference finals yeah. so uh give me no i'll go tory krug are you just trying to be contrarian with Tampa? Like, what's your reasoning for thinking that Boston's going to beat them? I feel like if Tampa beats Boston in the second round, and again, sorry to the Leafs fans, I'm not saying it's impossible for the Leafs, but I'm just saying I'm picking Boston to beat the Leafs. I'm saying if Tampa beats Boston, I feel like I'm very unlikely to win anyways. 
because of all these other boxes. I don't because it's like everyone I feel like is going to take the Tampa guys. So I want to take Boston to beat Tampa. And then if I'm right, maybe I only have a 40% chance of being right, but then I'll have a much better chance of winning the pool overall. So I'm sort of maybe out overthinking myself here, but I don't want to compete against the 80% of people who take all Tampa guys. I'd rather compete against the others. Right. You'd rather just be out with the others. You're taking a, a less a longer shot to compete against a smaller pool. Yeah, I feel like I have a better chance to win by taking Boston. I think Boston could beat Tampa. Like, I don't think... Like, Boston's a very strong team. It's possible. Like, like Boston uh, doesn't have as great a record, I think, as maybe they should, just because they had some of their star players miss a lot of time this year. Like, Bergeron was out for a bit. Uh, Pasternak, like, Tori Krug. But right now, they're fully healthy, which is rare, right, for Boston in the playoffs. So I'd love to see what they can do. Uh, okay, next, uh, Hamilton... McDonough, Jake Muzzin, Orlov, Pulak, and Wierenski. I assume you're going Ryan McDonough here? Uh, well, it's McDonough or, Ham- or Dougie Hamilton. Right. You're like I, kind I, of down on McDonough. I remember like I was asking I'm you. Gonna, well, I'm, I'm going with McDonough. Okay. I remember, Brian, <laughs> when I asked you, uh, should I pick up McD- McDonough? was somehow dropped in my cupful uh, tier two Ottawa division. And I remember being like, I think I'm going to add McDonough. He's like on Tampa. He, he's so good. And he had been a little cold lately. And you were like, eh, I don't know. But I grabbed him. He was amazing in the end. He didn't make was any that, of our list. But that was before Hedman was out. Yeah. This was like a month ago. Yeah. It was like uh, he had been on a bit of a cold streak and I grabbed him and then he was amazing all the rest of the way. But he was the type of guy that you could rely, even if he wasn't getting points, he was so reliable for your hits and blocks to get you something. Yeah, I mean, he had a really long stretch where he was barely like relevant. And by really long stretch, I mean like 43 games half the season where he scored like a point every three games and wasn't shooting a whole lot. Uh, But then he turned it on uh, right like first week of March. So good for him. Yeah, this box is hard for me. Hamilton, McDonough, Muzzin, Orlov, Pulak, and Rurensky, because uh, there's no Boston options. There's no Pittsburgh options. Uh, so I guess I'll go Carolina. I'll go Dougie Hamilton, I'll, I'll, since I took Justin Williams earlier. Uh, next box. Falk, Jake Gardner, Nick Letty, McAvoy, Matt Niskanen, Mikhail Sergachev. As a fun game, the listeners could try to guess which play- why some players say their full first name, last name, and others I only do the last name. <laughs> try to decipher that one. <laughs> And then tell Elon if you have figured it out, because he'd like to know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm going to go Justin Falk here over Mikhail Sergachev, I guess, is the other consideration. Like, you know, I wouldn't be averse to taking a Toronto player. It's just, like, I don't really want Gardner or Muzzin, who were available in the last two boxes. Yeah, that makes sense. I would have did... taken Morgan Riley, but I preferred Hedman. How did McAvoy do to end the season? Did, did he was he is he like been a somewhat reliable point getter or is it only Tory Krug? Let me bring this up here. So he ends the season with only twenty eight points in fifty four games. That's actually not so bad for. It's uh, not so bad for Charlie, especially for Charlie McAvoy. Like he was like, and that's sort of the pace he was on for the last month or two of the year. Yeah, give me so, McAvoy. Well, G- give me a little Mac. You got him. Punch out reference. He's yours. Okay, we're going to the Western Conference here, Brian. So finally. Uh, have we we haven't really discussed yet who we're taking here so we've got the first, first can you just tell me am i crazy i'm gonna read the first box and tell me if one of these names just jumps out as not belonging here Go Goudreau, hurdle mckinnon o'reilly sagan and wheeler yeah i don't know why hurdles there but who led uh okay so this is an off the cuff podcasting here you guys can let us know if you like this or hate this but whatever this is the last episode of the season also so we're allowed to have a little fun i, I would have guessed pavelski would have been in the first box but like i know he like he had some rough times 
Okay, well, I'm looking at the totals for San Jose on the season right now. So leading the team in points was Brent Burns, of course, yeah. 83 points. Tomas Hurdle next, 74 points in 77 games. So you can't argue wow. with the final stats, right? Joe Pavelski way down at 64 points in 75 games. So almost same number of games and Hurdle at 74 points and Pavelski at 64. So maybe you're not giving Tomas Hurdle enough credit, Brian. Maybe I'm not, but I'm also like, even though I actually... Uh have San Jose going to the cup finals in my bracket. I am reluctant. I actually have the winner. I haven't actually decided, but the winner of the San Jose Vegas series is my cup finalist. Okay. Well, we'll have to, I'm not sure who's going to win that series. Yeah. It's a tough one, right? Hey, I thought the winner of the Vegas LA series would make it to the final. Oh, you were right. (laughs) (laughs) And that's not true. I don't know. I just made that up. Uh, Okay. So who are we discounting? So you're saying Hurdle is potential. There is no Vegas option here, but you could also just take a team that you think you're more confident in getting to the second round. You mentioned St. Louis. So you've got Ryan O'Reilly available. Uh, You have Blake Wheeler, uh, Tyler Sagan, but Dallas is going to be, I guess, in tough against Nashville. And uh, you've got Nathan McKinnon. This is a tough one because like, oh, sorry. I was just going to say Nathan McKinnon. I made an argument for potentially Colorado going far. And I think McKinnon's probably, well, I had Goudreau. There is Goudreau also, Brian. If you disagree with my, and I, it's not even like a strong opinion. I just wanted to throw it out there. No one knows in the playoffs. Like Goudreau is probably your safest bet here as a team that was the top team in the Western Conference. And right. he's a really great player. So I feel like Goudreau is probably one of the guys I feel most comfortable I'll get two rounds out of. But I also think that he's not, we're not going to get any more than that out of him. Like I have Calgary and Winnipeg both both getting uh, some ugly surprises at some point and like Calgary because of their goaltending Winnipeg for that matter. And in part because of their goaltending too. Hellebuck has not had a good year. Um, So the question is, do I take what I think is going to be two assured rounds of Goudreau or do I try and uh, grab hurdle who I think I, or who I could get four rounds out of? I think I'm going to go Goudreau. I'm going to agree. PJ in the chat said Colorado can upset if goaltending falls flat for the Flames and stays strong for the Avs. I really think the goaltending could be the difference. I'm scared of Goudreau. Who did you say you're taking Goudreau? I'm taking Goudreau. Give me Ryan O'Reilly. I love Ryan O'Reilly. He's so good. And St. Louis, I think, can beat Winnipeg. And then in round two, that means they would play the winner of the Dallas-Nashville series. I feel like that's a winnable series for St. Louis. If there was a Predator or Golden Knight in this box, I might have taken them. But there wasn't. All right, so let's go to the next box. And there's will be uh, both so, of those available yeah, to you. Right, Ryan jo- Oh, okay, you can read them. You're doing right. a great job reading them. Thank you. you. Why don't you read this one? Let's see how well you could do reading a box. Well, I, I did the last one, but I'll do this one too. Okay, uh, you have Logan Couture, Ryan Johansson, Sean Monaghan, Miko Rantanen, Mark Scheifele, and Mark Stone. Yeah, so uh, that's a tough one, especially because I took St. Louis. So for me, like now that I took St. Louis, I feel like I shouldn't take Mark Scheifele. Uh, at the same time, I kind of like the Sharks also. So I guess that would make me take the Sharks. Shark ended- mindfully. <laughs> to, be- <laughs> to be fair, Brian, the Sharks, uh, how can we speak to how badly they ended the season? They were like uh, less than, I think it was like four wins in their last 10 games or something like that. Like it was a really slow end. Their Carlson's goal- back. It's okay. Yeah, it's just because of Carlson. Their goaltending shaky just like Calgary, right? Yeah, definitely. That That's the biggest reason why I, I'm concerned that they won't make it to the finals with a solid... You give them any goalie outside of Calgary's, 
and I feel like they are a cup finalist. Like of all the playoff teams, if you could take borrow any of the the Western Conference playoff teams goalies, pluck them onto Saint on onto San Jose. San Jose is your cup finalist for sure. But Martin Jones scares me. Yeah, you know what? I'm gonna play a little game here with myself. I had I don't know if you guys remember this. I made a bet on the Sharks to win the cup at the start of the season. I put down $50 to win $750, so I'm hoping for the big money. But maybe as a consolation prize, I can try to win this uh, keeping Carlson patron <laughs> playoff pool. So I'll take I'll take Mark Stone. The thing is, Mark Stone hasn't even been... Like, I wish that my option here was, like, Marcheseau. Like, I would t- I'd prefer him over Mark Stone. Well, so you can get of- him in another box. Yeah, but then it's like, why am I not taking... Uh, uh... You know what? Mark, yeah. Okay, who are you taking? Um, this is the toughest decision I've made all day. <laughs> really? Yeah. Like, what, what did you eat for dinner? Was that hard? No. Okay. I didn't eat dinner yet, actually. Oh, man. I'm going to uh, Yeah, we're, we're just venturing into patron cast territory. I am going to go uh, Logan Couture. Okay. Give me Mark Stone. Let's see. I don't know about that one. I might change that one. Okay. Wes, next. Uh, Mikhail Granlund, please. No. <laughs> Gabriel Landeskog, Elias Lindholm, Timo Meyer, Alex Radulov, Vladimir Tarasenko. This one's easy for me. Oh. Oh. This is really. I'm having. Okay. You go first. Tarasenko. I took Ryan O'Reilly. Give me Tarasenko. Hmm. I want the Nashville guy. It's like, you know, Nashville and San Jose, just like as far as forwards go, they have a bunch of good forwards, but no one who's like so like irresistible. Yeah. Uh, Okay. I'm just going to go. I'm going to go Timo Meyer. Is he healthy? Uh, He has a square beside him, but I could look that up. How about uh, you look that up while I talk about the next box? So the next box (laughs) is Jamie, Ben, Kyle, Connor, Jonathan, Marcheseau, Joe Pavelski, Braden Shen, Matthew Kachuk. So for me, at this point, I've already taken two St. Louis guys and I've taken a Vegas guy. So you would think I should take someone between Braden Shen and Jonathan Marcheseau. Let's go with, I guess, Braden Shen. I'm going to go all in on the Blues top line. I'm loving them right now. So Brian, uh, up to you. Timo Meyer apparently possible broken wrist, so you might want to stay away from him. Oh, so what I've seen is that he's he would play through it if it was a playoff game. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. But like, I don't want a guy playing with a broken wrist, though. Well, whatever. He'll just like pass it to Brent Burns, and he'll take a shot from the point, and something good will happen. Okay, I'm change. I changed my pick to Terrace. Uh, you know what? Elias Lindholm. Boom. Okay. And then what about the next box? I took Braden Shin. In the next box, I am going to take. Oh, it's hard because I don't know between San Jose and Vegas. So I'm like, should I just stack Calgary for whatever reason? Well, just um, pick one. You could just pick one and go with it. I can't. I can't decide. Like, <laughs> you know, it, with Vegas, it's Marc-Andre Fleury. Like, I, I feel like he could. Like, they have two solid lines. Their defense is good. Uh, and then you've got Fleury and Ned. I don't know if there's a goalie I would be more afraid to face going into the playoffs. Uh, ugh. This is, this is, I'm going, uh, I'll go Joe Pavelski. Okay, Joe Pavelski. So you're going Sharks now. Yeah. Well, you took, for Couture, now. you took Couture in that other box, right? Yeah. Okay. So I took Mark Stone in that box. And I'm not so happy about it. So I might still change that. <laughs> okay. West next, uh, Mikhail Backlund, Philip Forsberg, Kevin Hayes, William Carlson, Gustav Nyquist, 
David Perron. Forsberg. Like, this is so easy for me. Like, I've been dying to take a Nashville guy because I think they're going to get to the conference finals, if not the Stanley Cup finals. Uh, so, yeah, give me him amongst this other riffraff. <laughs> You hate David Perron so much. Like how no, many no, points? I don't is- hate him. He had a great season. He was on my team. He helped me. Uh, but he's but, riffraff. Yeah, I mean, c- comparatively, right? Forty-six points in fifty-seven <laughs> games for Perron. Okay, so no, I'm saying like that's like not uh, superstar level. He was pretty strong to end the year. I've already taken a bunch of St. Louis guys. I did take Mark Stone, so I could take William Carlson here, or I could go with David Perron. I'm just gonna keep uh, loading up the Blues. Give me David Perron. Let's do it. Let's you go. Got to, him. All right. So next, la, uh, two more forwards to go. Arvidsson. Uh, you're just gonna take Arvidsson, I think. Arvidsson, yeah. Line, Riley Smith, Carl Soderberg, Joe Thornton, Matt Zuccarello. Yeah, Victor Arvidsson for me. All right, and I'll go Riley Smith. I wasn't planning on going Vegas when we started this, but I think my bet on the Sharks is like both of these things. It's like it's not necessarily the team I want to think's gonna win, but I'm trying to give myself the best chance to be happy. And so that's why I went with Boston. That was more strategic because I feel like everyone's gonna go Tampa Bay guys. And then now I'm taking Vegas because at least if I lose my Sharks bet, maybe I could do something here. Okay, so last box of forwards Nikolai Ehlers, Michael Froelich, Evander Kane, Alexander Kerfoot, Craig Smith, and Paul Stasny. We haven't really talked about the Nashville-Dallas series. You think it's like Nashville in a walk, right? Yeah. I mean, Ben Bishop has been outstanding this season. Vesna candidate, if only he'd played another five to eight more games. Yeah. Uh, but Dallas, to me, just does not have the depth to to sustain themselves in a playoff series against one of the best teams in the West. The thing is, I feel like they have a wild card in Zuccarello. Like, that we haven't seen them play with Zuccarello. Maybe he is the depth that they need. No. Nah. No, they need like two or three of Zuccarello to, mm-hmm. I think, have s- s- uh, enough depth. Yeah, I see what you're saying. But I feel like uh, Dallas has more firepower overall, right? Radulov, Sagan, Zuccarello, I think, beats out the top three in Nashville. Johansson, Forsberg, Arvidsson. Eh, maybe it's close. I don't know. Okay. Uh, last box. Ehlers, Froelich. Did you already pick this one? Ehlers, I went Froelich. to Vander Kane. You went Evander Kane over... Uh, that's kind of surprising. I thought maybe you'd go with your favorite guy, Craig Smith. Uh, no. All right. So give me uh, Paul Stasny here. So I end up with all blues and then I still get Stone, Riley Smith and Paul Stasny. So I all get right. Three, three Western defensemen left. All right. So first box, Tyson Barry, Brent Burns, Mark Giordano, Roman Yosi, John Klingberg, Jacob Truba. I know you're not taking Truba. <laughs> you're going Roman Yosi, right? Uh, no, I'm going Brent Burns. I'm buying it on San Jose. It's okay. official. Well, now I now there's no Vegas and there's no St. Louis option for me. So I'm going to go with my upset pick here and give me Tyson Berry to beat the really? Calgary Flames. That's my upset pick of the That's your of, upset special. Yeah, that's my one upset of the playoffs that I'm most confident in is Colorado beating Calgary. Okay. Okay, you're like s- smiling. Okay, <laughs> I just no. I it was a cat. It was my resting face. I'm a very okay. pleasant person. You are okay. Brody, Bufflin, Ekholm, Haskinen, Eric Carlson. I don't know where you're going. You're going Carlson, Alex Petrangelo. Ek. Yeah, you got to go Carlson there if you're. But I've been taking all these Vegas guys, so give me Alex Petrangelo <laughs> on St. Louis. <laughs> what a what a guy okay and then the next me because i laughed at you yeah i just i thought it was fun like yeah you've taken all these vegas guys personally 
Or I guess if you're into Vegas, yeah. No, I think that makes sense given the rest of your bracket. I guess I could just switch all my Vegas guys to San Jose guys, but I am worried about the San Jose goaltending, and I already have this bet. Okay, so no one cares. Like, Uh, San Jose has one of the shakiest goalies, and Vegas has one of the strongest. So you you figure, like, goaltending does win playoff matchups. It seems like I should be going with Vegas. Mm. You never know. Uh, San Jose does have Eric Carlson. The boxes just didn't shake out that way for me. (laughs) West, last defenseman. Vince Dunn, Ryan Ellis, Noah Hannafin, Josh Morrissey, Shea Theodore, and Mark Eduard Vlasic. Ryan Ellis, by the way, was also like a big disappointment at the end of the season. He did nothing for his owners in the fantasy playoffs. Yeah, and he had a really bad schedule too. So for anyone who's like, ah, one game of Ellis is better than two games of streamer Joe over here, uh, you're probably wrong. Yeah. Okay. Streamer Joe. I'm going to take Shea Theodore. So you can uh, go with, I'm assuming, uh, Vlasic or Ryan Ellis. Yeah, I'm going to go Ryan Ellis. Okay. I'm saving my team. Right now I'm called Elon's team. I'll come up with a better name later. Brian, there we go. That's the episode. You know what we haven't done? We haven't done our tributes of people who won and lost their leagues. But you know what? We've got all summer for that. So no, Elon. I got to go, Brian. It's too late. Come you on. Know what? What's the difference? Okay, we you still can do listen it. to all the names. People are expecting it. I can They'll... just do it alone. We don't have to alternate. No, no, it's fine because I want to get more listeners for the summer series. So if you submitted your name, we've got it documented. Oh my! God. And we'll say it on the next episode. It's fine. I think that's rude. People listen this whole episode. <laughs> they suffered. It. They suffered through. They this did. Whole they skipped through the playoff pool and then like skipped back. Come all on. Right. Send your hate tweets to at Dubro, D-U-B-R-O-E. Start a four-minute timer. Let's let's oh knock this God. out. Fine, go. I don't even have it. I don't even have the list. Okay. Where, where is it? Oh, uh, you're killing me, Brian. It is 10.38 p.m., and I still have to edit the episode. You just get to write a little write-up and go to sleep. Then I have a 9.30 meeting tomorrow. But well, that four... must be nice. I've got to be at work for like an hour and a half before that. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> let's go. All right, so these are the... No, because I can't put my full... I want to put a lot of pomp and circumstance into this. I want to make it a big deal, not rush okay. through it. Send your hate tweets to at D-U-B-R-O-E. Okay, thanks everyone for listening to us all season long. We appreciate it. Uh, if you didn't listen to us all season long, then like I should almost give you special thanks for only listening at the end because that's not usually how our numbers go. Uh, but yeah, I've had a lot of fun. It's because of you, the listeners, that we keep on making this show. And I feel like, Brian, I hopefully, hopefully I can speak for you. We plan to keep doing this for another season and hopefully a few seasons after that. Plus, we have a whole fun summer series coming up. So please don't unsubscribe because we're going to have a lot of fun hockey talk. And we're going to be trying to give you great advice for your drafts for next season and for like keeper league decisions. Plus, we're going to talk about the playoffs all throughout the summer. Plus, we're going to talk about all the free agent signings, the draft. So there's a lot of fun stuff coming at Keeping Carlson. So thanks again for everyone for listening. And also, yeah, go ahead. Just bear in mind, uh, we'll see you again in two weeks, right? We're going to do all this stuff, but on a bi-weekly schedule. So no episode next week, but in two weeks from today. Yes, of course. Uh, We don't have that much to talk about, but we'll get you bi-weekly all throughout the summer. And if you want to join in on all the fun on our patron Facebook group and to join this playoff pool, which there will be a great prize. It's just undetermined at this time. You could get all the information by signing up at keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Ignore everything you read there. Just put a buck and we'll give you everything you need. Uh, Okay. So with that, Brian, let's cue the outro music. And why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? 
All right. Uh, yeah, and I just want to echo you, Elon. Thanks, everybody, for uh, for supporting us all season long. We couldn't have done this without you. Okay, this episode of Keeping Carlson was presented by Dabra Hockey and powered by our patrons, including our most recent one, Brayden. Welcome aboard, Brayden. This episode was researched with help from Dabra Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dabra Prospects, Natural Stat Trick, Evolving Hockey, Corsica, Charting Hockey, Cap Friendly, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Yahoo! Great job, as always, Brian. This has been a pleasure getting to talk to you every week. And now I'll just get to talk to you every two weeks. So that'll be kind of sad, but love you, man. We can still talk. Okay, great. So I'll mess you. I, I guess I could ask like, how your family's doing and stuff like that now that the hockey season's over and we don't have to just talk about who we're going to be adding and dropping from our leagues. I'm sure there will be other fantasy-relevant questions in the meantime. Yeah, I guess so. Well, we have to make keeper decisions. In my league. Okay, the music is playing. Goodbye, everyone, and we'll talk to you all in a couple of weeks. Until then, enjoy the playoff hockey. First round of the playoffs is literally my favorite time of the hockey season. So please enjoy. And uh, until next time, keep on keeping Carl Sun. Am I a nerd that my favorite time is like free agent signing day? July 1st. No, I'm just kidding. I really love watching the playoffs. Okay, bye everybody. Bye.